0: Oh, we're live now. We're live. Ah! Yay! Hi, everybody! What's going on? Welcome to the Talk of Dragons.
1: Welcome to the Talk of Dragons.
0: Tyranny of Dragons is the product we're going to talk about.
1: Tyranny of Dragons is the talk. It's the talk of the Forgotten Realms.
0: Welcome to this Dragon Talk of the Realms. Yes. That's what we're calling it from now on. Dragon Talk of the Realms. It is. Uh, I'm Greg Tito. Cool. Who are you?
1: Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Hi. I'm so
0: glad you're here.
1: Thanks. I almost couldn't be.
0: I wh- Why? There's,
1: I don't know if you're paying attention to all that's happening across the aisle.
0: What's happening in the UK? <laughs> that's
1: the pond. <laughs> the,
0: oh, sorry. <laughs> the aisle. In my
1: aisle. Oh, yes. it's just like, you know, work stuff.
0: Work things. Every
1: now and again. It just flares up. Like yeah. an old... Rash,
0: like a like a bunion,
1: like a bunion.
0: <laughs> we got lots of feedback from people of all the secrets that we uh, were divulging during last Dragon Talk. What
1: did we talk about?
0: Nothing, but I your, really like your owl uh, you necklace that you got it's, there.
1: It's vintage.
0: It is very vintage. But for real,
1: I bought it in Palm Springs at a vintage shop.
0: Was it from a vintage lady?
1: I hope so. <laughs> I hope she's it's got pretty some cool. history. And that think, she was super badass.
0: I don't think I've ever seen a necklace quite like that. It is a, uh, you know, it comes about mid length, but then it's about five it's inches of owl sculpture uh, there for us. Uh, it looks good. I feel like that would Thanks. be your familiar. Feel- if That's you're, what I feel like. Yeah. If you were but a it's wizard. It's kind
1: of like armor, a <laughs> little. Or like a figurine of wondrous power that I wear around my neck. Oh, it
0: could be your holy symbol. Like if you were also a cleric of the owl goddess.
1: I I would be. You are. I guess I am.
0: (laughs) Done and done. Done. Easy peasy. Are you going to (sighs) use that character for your Baldur's Gate descent into Avernus playthrough? Yes, is the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I
1: was thinking, is that what we're playing for Extra
0: Life? We could. We should. We will.
1: Okay. We're doing it. My character is shaping up to be really pretty awesome thanks to some great donations that have come in.
0: Does that mean it's going to be a shapeshifter? No, she
1: is a flamingo.
0: Oh, well.
1: Thanks, Christy.
0: Shout out to Christy. Hey.
1: Okay. Oh, um, she has... Let's talk
0: about Extra Life first because we We always, always never do. <laughs> we always never.
1: We always never.
0: So what are you doing for Extra Life, Shale?
1: Well, I've got some great rewards on my page Ooh. that you can participate in if you so desire. Like some autographed copies of board games. Nice. Um, we had Rob Davio in and... Yeah, his- that was a surprise. Sorry, I didn't mention that. I was like, oh, hey, Rob. What's going on? Hi, he was here for undisclosed reasons, but he got to sign some copies of Betrayal Legacy. Those are going quickly. I think I only have one of them (gasps) that hasn't been claimed. We've got some Dungeon Mayhem with the expansion that we can also. I know people, and I can get those signed. Sweet. And of course, D and D versus Rick and Morty. I totally know people and can get those signed for you. You can still. um, I actually have a great flaw. I'm addicted to mayonnaise. <laughs> this is Thank not you. true in real
0: life, though, thankfully. Kind of, though. Really? You do, you're like a mayo girl? I mean, like, like I, I like said, like it's not
1: really a flaw, but I like okay. that you're getting so many
0: titles this week. You're the mayo girl now. Mayo girl. Mayo girl. Product
1: girl. Oh,
0: skunk mayo works, girl. mayo girl.
1: Skunk works, girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun.
1: Flamingo girl. I
0: feel like we should um, get uh, some comic book writers to create this hero.
1: That, this could be like the fan art that I've always wanted. Oh,
0: Shelley wants fan art. But do I? Do you?
1: It could be bad.
0: It's always going I don't be mean great. bad
1: like the talent would be bad. I yes. mean like somebody could be like, okay, Shelly Moo.
0: I love that <laughs> your, your mind immediately went to, how could this end badly for everyone involved? Yes.
1: I'm a doom and gloom kind of girl. <laughs> you
0: really are. <laughs> You're like that 90s goth chick that everyone's always wanted to hang out with.
1: I'm like Raven on the Teen Titans.
0: Yes, I'm, you're exactly I'm like Raven. Date, Raven. <laughs> this, this is your another vocal talent that you got here. I'm very excited like, about all things. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> is, see, that's what, she'd be your owl uh, priestess character. She would. For, uh, for Descent into Avernus. I think Although, to do.
1: Starfire is really my favorite. And Cyborg.
0: <laughs> you got a lot of favorites. If we're going to talk about Teen Titans. <laughs> I was trying to move away from it's talking This also kind of sounds tians.
1: like um, the sweaty balls people.
0: It does a little bit. Be like, hmm, that's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That looks delicious. I can't wait to put those in my mouth. I really (laughs) like (laughs) your sweater. We are so talented. Very good, Uh, but Extra Life Life? is,
0: of course, a charity where we uh, raise a lot of money for the Children's Miracle Hospital Network here in Seattle. That means the Seattle Children's Hospital. We've been doing it for seven years. We've raised more than half a million dollars over the course of that time for the kids, and we're doing it again this year. And uh, we're really excited about it. So I've got uh, mostly Dragon Talk-related things up on my page. Whoa. If you send in $100 donated to Extra Life through my page, I will read uh, aloud some fun stuff for you. Shouting out to your friends, to your gaming group, whatever you want, 100 words worth, within reason. I'm not going to say anything gross or offensive. But, uh, yeah, I'll do some in-jokes, make things happen. That's only $100. If you want to come and be a guest here on Dragon Talk... Uh, Like
1: here? Yeah,
0: here in person. Wow. That's $2,500. We had to put some high-ticket items on there.
1: Which is like a lot less than we charge our other guests to be here. That's
0: true. We usually do about $5 million. Right. So this is a steep discount for the kids. Yes. And then uh, $1,000 if you want to do a call-in. You don't have to physically be here, but you can call in with us and be a part of the guests. Uh, So so let's make it happen. Let me
1: ask you this. Yes. Do they also get a mug?
0: They do get a mug. Because I
1: feel like the mug would be like... A real incentive. like Uh, More so than just coming. I think I even
0: said for those who will be arriving here in person that you'll get a swag bag full of stuff.
1: A swag bag full of big chunky mugs. Big.
0: It's going to be all (laughs) mugs that you have (laughs) to (laughs) take home with you on the plane. Clink, 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 clink. Everyone's going to be very upset with you going through TSA. Yes. But you'll get them. You'll you'll get them. You'll get them. You'll drink all of the large amounts of coffee through them.
1: That's really... Those are some great prizes. Yeah,
0: we hope we do it. So uh, I know uh, I've had at least one person donate to have stuff read aloud, and waiting for a couple more of those to come in to to do them during a, one of these segments. Cool. And then uh, yeah, we have one person who is coming to to the office uh, potentially in January or December uh, to uh, be one of our in person guests. Are
1: they from out of town?
0: They are from out of town,
1: so they're going to send themselves here to Seattle Yes, in the two worst months of the entire year.
0: Our slash best months of the year.
1: I mean, if you get to be on Dragon Talk. I, I know, just right?
0: Just you're like, da, da, it's going to be amazing. fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So those of you out there, fans, here's a chance. to Come in, uh, do some high fives with me and Shelly, and we'll interview you and find out about when you started playing Dungeons & Dragons, oh what you're doing with it, how, uh, which, what's your favorite characters, and uh, we'll talk all about it. Yes, I love it. All right. Okay. I'm Good gonna deal. ask
1: my dad to donate twenty five hundred
0: bucks. Do it, and, and then you can him. Yeah,
1: he doesn't. We'll know. fly him up. I told him, I'm like, you have to donate to my extra life campaign, you know. And he was like, okay, okay. T- tell me what to do. Do do you do I give you a check? And I'm like, Oh, nobody <laughs> oh, does. Yeah, buddy. fax me this form. You're
0: like, do you know? Do you have Venmo? I <laughs> know
1: he does not. He does not have the Venmo. I asked him that already. Or the PayPal. He did it the proper ways with a a credit card. (laughs) It's very easy to donate. Wow,
0: he is in the future. Look at him go. He is.
1: But our special thanks to Tom Mazenobel.
0: Tommy. Wait, can we call him Tommy? Yeah. Tommy Mazenobel. You can
1: call him Butch. Butch. You can call him Gekki.
0: Butch and Gekki and Tommy, how do those all relate?
1: Tommy, his old pals probably call him. Yeah. Butch is what his family nickname was. Yeah. And Gekki is what Quinn calls him.
0: Oh, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's got knocked and Nick all. Yeah, we're going to ask him all about that stuff when he it's comes to Beyond Dragon Talk.
1: It'll be fascinating.
0: Fascinating. Uh, maybe he'll play Dungeons & Dragons for the first time with us.
1: It would be the second.
0: Second time with us.
1: I made him play once. Did he like it? He was confused. <laughs> he didn't want to fight monsters. He just wanted to talk to them.
0: Oh, well, I mean, that's... He also
1: didn't want to leave the tavern.
0: That is a valid... Uh, both of those are totally valid choices you can make as and a, as a character. And he wanted to a pirate. It's done.
1: But that was like one of my only times DMing. And I said, okay, you're a pirate.
0: Yeah, as you should. Mm-hmm. That's what you're uh, was, a yes and type of girl, in addition to being a skunk girl.
1: In addition to being doom and gloomy. <laughs> Doomy and gloomy, yes and skunk worky. Uh, By the way, I love the smell of skunks. <laughs> 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 what? Am I alone in this room? I not? don't
0: think anyone has ever said that sentence together. Really? Yeah. Who does? My rides- dad also
1: does. Is it, it must ge- be a genetic, it's a genetic
0: but, thing. Is it like cilantro, where like some people think it tastes like soap? But I the skunks, you're like, delicious. Delicious. Whenever
1: we went on road trips, he would sniff a skunk in the air and he would like roll down his window and my window in the car. And we would like, and I just remember thinking, I'm like, that's really kind. Like, my dad loves me. He automatically rolled my window down so I too could smell the skunk. I love it. I just, wow. it's very. Delightful.
0: It is. It is delightful. I guess to a certain uh, skunk. I mean, this is why you like Eye of Newt and, and uh, all the stuff. I am a witch. <laughs> exactly right. It kind of it fits so much. It is amazing. Witch girl. Uh, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, I like the smell of my own farts. Does that count as also <laughs> liking skunks?
1: If your fart smelled like skunks, I guess I yeah. would like them too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's only <laughs> one way to find out. Every
1: now and know, Quinn has a lot of gas, and he'll go. <laughs> Oh, smells like old Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Woo! Where do you learn that from? Probably you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> I make him eat old Brussels sprouts. Why are they old? I think it's an even worse smell.
0: Oh, okay. It just makes it... It's gnarly. It's got some, some age to it. It's smell. aged. It's been aged in smoked yeah. barrels and things.
1: Do you like the smell of gasoline? Yeah.
0: Me too. Yeah. Um, Do you like starting fires with gas? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> well, you are going to fit right in in hell. hell. Or the nine hells, rather. All nine of them. Because it smells like all those things. Burning hair. Uh, That's
1: f- Oh, what about fingernails, burnt, burnt microwave in your eyes,
0: burnt microwave popcorn, just burnt popcorn in what general. What about like
1: fish cooked in a microwave? Oh, God. Bar- Bart Carroll.
0: Bart <laughs> Carroll was just talking <laughs> about doing that. He's like, I don't see what the problem is. And you're like, you. I've
1: told you numerous times it is offensive.
0: Right, it's like basically throwing like a stink bomb into an office and be like, this will be gone in three days. <laughs> oh, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Whatever. Also,
1: like the person who cooks their food in that microwave after you, yeah. now their food smells like. Microwave fish, the,
0: and they are in hell. They are in the nine hells by doing that. Yeah. yeah. So all of these uh, topics of conversation you should incorporate with your D and D game. Like the
1: more we talk about the nine hells, the more I think I really think I might want to be a dungeon master. For yes. This. Yes. Bring it to life. Yes. Did you like my crab hands? I,
0: I thought those were <laughs> castanets, but okay. Like
1: it's a crab playing castanets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 Can we talk about Chiasta. this
1: <laughs> For a hot second.
0: What are you going to talk about? <laughs> My yes, <Mark. laughs> your asthma.
2: <laughs> I,
1: I owe him an apology.
2: You have to write an apology letter
0: for him to. I have to write an
1: apology letter to Bart Carroll. Yeah. Because we made fun of him <laughs> so
0: bad. He was very mad at the two of us. <laughs> that we
1: laugh. We made Liz laugh herself into a headache.
0: <laughs> oh, really? That happened? She got yeah. migraine twice. So we were in a meeting, Bart Carroll, she- uh, Shelley, and I, and Bart had to leave to go to, you know, most people would just say I have to go to a doctor's appointment or or something like that. But what did he do?
1: He said, Liz, I got to go to a... <laughs>
0: <I> can't <laughs> he can't even get-, get it out. He was like, I got to go to a asthma doctor.
1: <laughs> my asthma <laughs> the way he said it. It came out super nerdy. I got to go to my... He, like, pushed up
0: his, his glasses <laughs> that had the tape in between them as he was doing it. The not, pocket protector fell out.
1: Not making fun of people with asthma. I'm just very straightforwardly making fun of Bart.
0: You're making fun of your husband. Yes. I think that's important yes, distinction. it's a
1: very important
0: distinction.
1: <laughs> right. He's got a very good sense of humor because he tolerates a lot of mockery.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the best quality in the spouse, I think.
1: Because yes, even Quinn gets in on it. Yeah. Like one time, Bart was, <laughs> was choking on a sausage McMuffin. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: funny.
1: <laughs> He's like really quietly. This is why it's good to watch the live stream. So you can see this. So we're like shoving McDonald's food in our faces. <laughs> All of a sudden, Bart just goes. <laughs> 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 it's like really quietly. His eyes got big and he just was like swallowing a lot. And then Quinn goes, what's wrong with dad? And I'm like, I don't know. Just keep keep going. And then Bart finally was like, oh, I was almost going to choke. And we were like, oh, we didn't realize that. But <laughs> so <laughs> then we just started making fun of him like, Quinny, Quinny, what does daddy look like when he chokes? And then Quinn would just be like. <laughs> like <laughs> his eyes really big.
2: <laughs>
1: and then it happened again. With like the same, same sausage? Yeah, it's not- the same McMuffin. Oh, and Quinn no. goes. He's doing it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, this guy. Come
1: on, and we're like, but come on, man, get out of the car!" Like, <laughs> you're bothering us. Uh, Just, I, Bart's not watching this, is he? No, okay. not at all.
0: He's at the he's at the asthma doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is all good stuff. I think there should be more, uh, you know, people making uh, uh, fun of choking in general.
1: <laughs> choking and asthma super yeah. humorous in our household.
0: Exactly. Um, I'm going to hell. And all these things you need to uh, absolutely use when you're Dungeon Master. These are th- these vivid descriptions that we are getting if are important. If
1: you playing with Bart and you were like, you are now in like the third rung of hell and you left your inhaler in the second <laughs> rung, what do you do?
0: Run up there. <laughs> do you
1: go back and get it? Do you split the party to go back and get your inhaler?
0: This seems like a question uh, that would come up in a Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty adventure playset tabletop game oh, adventure. 100%. Right? Yeah. Uh, that is coming out on November 19th. Mm-hmm. And it's totally the type of thing I think that family would engage in. I feel like like Bart is Jerry. Really?
1: We're kind of turning him into Jerry.
0: <laughs> I mean, is that, is that good?
1: No. It's not. It's not good. So I should probably stop. Right, Pelham?
0: Keep going. He's, like, he's like, don't bring <laughs> don't me into stop this.
1: On my account, I'm gonna get in trouble.
0: <laughs> so November 19th is a big day. Uh, a big day, uh, because it is also uh, when uh, D and D versus Breaking Morty comes out. But it is also when Eberron Rising from the Last Such War will be available everywhere.
1: Two very different expressions of D and D.
0: Extremely different, yeah. right? Different little shards well, of the multiverse yes. are bound. In those two uh, products.
1: It sounded like you said shards and bowels.
0: <laughs> we are firmly <laughs> not leaving our potty award winning podcast. This
1: is why we're winners. This is why we're winners. And we're going to win it again.
0: All day long. Yep. Uh, so, Eberron Rising from the Last War is a really interesting take on uh, fantasy. Most fantasy uh, delves into kind of medieval, feudal themes yep. of that type of. Society, uh, but Eberron explores one that's a little bit more modern, industrial. Uh, of course, there's still magic and fantasy elements within it, but it's uh, tackles a whole bunch of different themes, like uh, uh, monopolies of or, or houses holding mono- economic monopolies, spy agencies, newspaper. Uh, you know, national newspapers, citywide newspapers, uh, travel between places using uh, galleons and uh, lightning trains and all that fun stuff. So. Would you
1: call it steampunk?
0: No, I don't, because not, it's not powered by steam. This is the distinction that has been told to me. Oh, it's powered by magic. So magic, it's magic punk? punk.
1: I like that. Ah. Yeah,
0: punk, punkly magic.
1: Huh.
0: Punk the magic, fantastic.
1: Well, did he live by the sea? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, in the
0: land of Eberron.
1: Eberron was the first setting I ever played in. It was it
0: was it was birthed around when you had st- well I guess not when you started but like three or four years after you started here right when did it when was it
1: first three two thousand three okay right. I, think I started playing in two thousand six. Look at that. Mm-hmm.
0: After hot after your uh, um uh, internship at uh, Sub Pop <laughs> Records.
1: It was like. Like a decade after my internship. So hot, a hot <laughs> off after that. Very, it was a very quick decade, so <laughs> it went fast. Very fast. Yeah, yeah. lightning fast. Lightning's like a lightning train.
0: There, that's the segue See, skills. we
1: do talk about D&D. What? Uh,
0: excellent. All right, so uh, those are all the fun things that are happening. We've talked about Baldur's Gate uh, and all the things around Descent to Avernus, yep. including the uh, Dungeon Mayhem card set that's expanding with... Battle for Baldur's Gate. Yes. I was trying to oh, sorry. cue you into doing it.
1: Minsk and Boo and Jahira. Very people good characters. People are playing it and people are excited about it because they keep telling me on Twitter and I really appreciate that.
0: I love the wolf form and bear form stuff it's with cool. Jahira. It's really interesting take on Yes. It's simple. You can still just do it with cards, but it it's changes it up. Yes. Yes. I like to shape a shift. Yep. It's fun. Um, and then, of course, uh, we've we talked about Rick and Morty, but there's Rick and Morty to the Painscape, which mm-hmm. is a comic book series that is out now. Jim Zub is the writer. Troy Little is the artist, uh, returning from their first series. Yes. Jump in, get it if you can. Issue two should be coming out soon. Those and covers
1: are amazing. They are
0: really, really good. Uh, and, of course, everyone's jumping into Dungeons and Dragons the Essentials Kit. The D&D yeah. Essentials kit is really fun. We oh. played it a whole bunch of time in the office remember, with people. I
1: gotta get one of
0: those. You do gotta get one of those. I yeah. gave
1: my other one away, so I have to I have to
0: get another one. Sure. All right. Well they're available everywhere. You can yes. get them in game stores, you can get them at uh, uh, bookstores, box office. Did you know that it is a nonfiction not a nonfiction book? I did. Yeah. Uh, climbing up the charts at the Amazon under charts. all books. Uh, is, is the D&D Essentials Kit, not to mention uh, Descent to Avernus, I think, uh, topped the top five in the Publishers Weekly list uh, for nonfiction. What do
1: you think the other authors on those lists think? When they, they see like, d d Yeah, they're like, oh.
0: Uh, this is, I don't know.
1: This isn't nonfiction.
0: I was going to say they probably don't look at those lists, but that's a bold-faced yeah, lie. They, they do. clearly do. Well, speaking of things that we should clearly do, let's talk to Jeremy Crawford about some sage advice. Okay. We haven't had him on for a while, and I want to get into the nitty gritty about some rules. Let's hear it. All right. Hello, and welcome to Sage
4: Advice.
0: It's been a long time since we recorded one of these, but I am Greg Tito and I'm joined by Jeremy Crawford. We are here to talk about fun little bits within the rules of uh, Dungeons & Dragons, which Jeremy, being lead rules developer, can expound on uh, very much so. And we're going to today talk on a topic, beginning combat in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Uh, covering what it's like when two combatants mm, encounter each other, when a surprise occurs, how does the first round uh, initiative-wise or when to call for initiative, all of those things. Uh, so,
4: so, Jeremy, when, when do you begin combat? I begin combat when people start fighting. Now, that sounds super simple, but we're having this talk because often you'll have in a group that vague moment of, like, is it now? Did the fight start now? Here's a great example. Yeah. First, the, the obvious kind. You have the group of adventurers. They see down the hallway the group of goblins. The DM says, roll initiative. Easy. Yeah. But then it gets trickier. The characters are at a masquerade ball. They've just spent, uh, thanks to the players being enthusiastic and in character, schmoozing it up with the NPCs for... 15, 30, maybe even 45 minutes of real time people using funny voices and someone suddenly says they pull out their dagger and stab somebody. Those are always the trickier moments. And you see this in some live games. This has even happened in uh, recent uh, Acquisitions Incorporated episodes that I've DM'd, mm-hmm. where you'll have this role-playing scene that will suddenly, because of a choice somebody made, transition into violence. And the question is uh, often for some groups, how do you manage that transition? Because it's not as smooth as, again, we open the door, there's a gelatinous cube fight. Although usually with a gelatinous cube – you discover it's there uh, from the inside because you had just accidentally walked right
0: into it. It's a horrible example, but (laughs) I I get what you're saying because you want to uh, figure out a way to transition in a way that feels natural but doesn't uh, mess
4: up with the way the rules are set up. Exactly. So one of the things that will often throw people is that if you play the game sort of by the book – even if, all right, we're at the masquerade ball and I suddenly realize this person who I thought was the Duke, I just now figured out is actually a devil impersonating the Duke, out pull, I pull my, my blessed dagger and stab them. Now, running with the narrative and being excited as a player, I immediately want to grab my D20 and make an attack roll and deal damage. But the whole system assumes that the instant the narrative transitions to violence, that everything suddenly pauses. It's almost like if you're watching a movie, and I've even described this as a DM before, mm. it suddenly slows down. You know, you think of the, the old uh, – uh, the first Matrix film when they came up with that Bro- technique called mo- bullet time yeah. where suddenly you see the bullets tracing through. As soon as that dagger comes out, players in a way you can kind of train your own expectations about what should happen next. If you get into the mindset of when you tell the DM, I pulled my dagger out to stab, you're signaling intent but you've not yet stabbed because the instant you intend to engage in any kind of battle, initiative needs to happen because suddenly everyone else needs a chance uh, to act, to respond, to get out of town, uh, to do whatever it is they want to do. And there are so many things in the game that really rely on that bell being run, rung of it's initiative time.
0: Yeah, and I think if you, if you ignore that, and you can as a DM, of course, if it feels justified, but if you ignore the call for initiative when that violence begins, you're ignoring a large part of you know, uh, having a high dexterity or having, you know, class features that improve your initiative, uh, be, the impact of that, or having a, the monster's improved initiative be a factor in what that's happening. And so I, I really like your analogy of like the, the, the drawing of the dagger or the pullback of about to stab is actually the inciting thing because then everybody gets a chance to potentially react. It's almost, and it is like a, it, it's a pause moment where it's like, okay, who is going to be able the first one to act? Right. In this situation.
4: Now, many players will sometimes say, but I'm the one who started it. Shouldn't I get to strike first? Right. Not necessarily. You were certainly the one who pulled out your weapon. But someone else in that scene might actually have faster reflexes than you do. They might, out of the corner of their eye, see that knife going back and they might cast a spell before you actually strike. Uh, that's a part of the fun uncertainty of the game. Right. That's one of the reasons why we roll initiative. We roll it not just to have a moment of sort of almost like bookkeeping at the start of combat. It's actually to inject this exciting bit of uncertainty that no matter how many battles you've been through in D&D, you never know. Are you going to go before them? Are you going to go after? Are you going to be right in the middle of the pack? And where you are in that order can significantly impact – Not only what you do, but how the entire fight unfolds. And that's why it's important to not try to jump over that step. And so even though you are the one who incited, you had the inciting action that triggered combat, just remember, you're signaling intent. You're not actually stabbing them yet. Um, Now, the game has a mechanism in place to represent if you truly took everybody off guard— if you did, if nobody saw this coming, that's where surprise comes in. Surprise, partly because of how it has worked in previous edition, uh, editions of the game, sometimes can get a little sort of mixed up for some groups. You'll, one, one sign of this sometimes for me is when I hear people referring to a surprise round. Mm. Uh, because in – in previous editions of the game, not every one, but uh, in some editions, there has been this thing called a surprise round that sort of existed outside the regular process of combat. In fifth edition, there is no surprise round. There's just combat. Combat starts, you roll initiative, and then if an individual is surprised, if they had no idea combat was about to start, you know, it's like I thought we were just getting muffins at the bakery. And, you know, <laughs> suddenly your giant mall is in your hands and Gosh, it is coming How many at times has that
0: come to happen to me here in <laughs> Seattle? Like at least five.
4: When you're really hangry? I'm really hangry and then
0: I get bonked in the back of that. Yeah.
4: yeah. You're like, oh, I just wanted that almond <laughs> croissant. <laughs> so, uh, if you really didn't see it coming, you were so fixated on that almond croissant <laughs> uh, th- that – and suddenly combat is started. Well, then the way – for the DM to show that uh, the attacker is going to get a, the jump on me, because I would be the almond croissant guy. Oh, I love them! Uh, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of almonds. Yes, uh, really. Yeah, this is a personal example for you. I guess. this is it. This is, this is the way to. Get, this is the way to get the drop on me in combat. Let's
0: put out almond croissants. Yes,
4: a look for me in Bakery bait. Nouveau as I look as I choose uh, oh, almond croissants. I love the, the macaroons there. They're so good. <laughs> Um, Clearly, we want
0: treats. I know, right? Maybe it's just tea time right now. We need to get some some high-tea pastries
4: in here. That's right. (laughs) So if I'm the surprised guy, uh, what that means is in that first round of combat, I don't get to do anything. Uh, I, on my turn, I even still get a turn. That sometimes also is a point of confusion for Mm. people that, oh, if you're surprised, you don't even get a turn. No, you actually still get a turn. You just don't do anything on it. Uh, you, <laughs> well, what's the distinction there? Why is that important? It's important because there are a number of effects in the game that have durations keyed to the start or end of somebody's turn. Oh, I see. And so, for for the durations in the game, you still need to have a term, even if you're just sitting there, slack jawed, just drooling wanting, over the almonds. <laughs> yes, just wanting that treat, <laughs> and that weapon is coming, soaring at you you still get a turn as you get to contemplate possibly the end of your life instead of the (laughs) yummy breakfast you're about to have.
0: So that means no actions can be taken, no movement can be done,
4: no bonus actions or reactions, correct? Exactly. Uh, The surprise rule in the Player's Handbook, it it specifies you can't move and you can't take any actions. And keep in mind, everybody, if you can't take an action, it means you can't take a bonus action. That's Uh, important. That's a part of the bonus action rule. And then you also, as you rightly said, you can't take any reaction up until the end of your turn. Oh, okay. Essentially, you can think about it as like you get to the end of your turn and it's suddenly like, something, something's going on. <laughs> Combat's <laughs> happening. Combat is happening. So if if it's ever important to try to – Trace, when do you stop being surprised? It's the end of your turn. Got it. Your end, the end of your turn where you did nothing. Hmm. And now, as soon as that turn ends, you could then take a reaction uh, in response to something if you have one uh, to take. Many people don't, uh, but some uh, classes or subclasses have special reactions that might suddenly be relevant. There are some spells uh, that might be relevant. Uh, but like, if you're a surprised wizard and someone attacks you before your turn, you can't cast shield even if you've got it prepared. Yeah. Because until the end of that first turn, you can't use your reaction.
0: But that's also why it's important to not ignore the initiative roll. Because say you still are surprised, you, you're still rolling, you still may be higher up in the order and not able to take an action, but that means that everyone, every combatant after that who's attacking you, you would be able to take a reaction and cast shield. Exactly.
4: And, that, and and thank you. You're, I'm for, getting better at this yeah, <laughs> from
0: talking for, to you so many times.
4: For, for really, you're pointing out why it's important to follow these sequences because so many things in the game assume the sequence is being followed. Yeah. Uh, and at first, it might seem like, ah, eh, we don't have to worry about it. And of course, a DM adjudicating, uh, as long as they're keeping an eye on you know things being fun and moving at a, at a nice pace, a DM, of course, can fudge things. But my recommendation is as much as possible, follow this at least to start so that you begin to see how all the pieces fit together. Something else that comes up is people will wonder, can – Part of a group of characters can some of the members of a group be surprised and other members of the group uh, not be surprised? Do you know the answer to this one? I'm going to say yes. Yes, that is correct. Sides in a battle are not necessarily all surprised together. Mm. Uh, And that's another reason why it's important to not get lulled into this idea of there being some kind of surprise round that affects entire groups of people individuals are surprised, not groups. So, uh, you know, me, guy who wants breakfast, I might be surprised, but the rest of my party who were maybe standing at the door to the cafe and were actually vigilant, they might not be surprised. Yeah. And so during that first round, I might be the only person who doesn't get to act or move.
0: An easy way to... Uh also, incorporate perception and roles in that, like if you have a lower ho- passive perception, but your rest of your party has a higher passive perception, they won 't be surprised, uh, whereas you would still have that uh, almond in your in your in your in your eyes
4: <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that one of the things i I like to do as a dm is often try to find ways to make players feel good. About the choices they made when making their character. Yeah. So if I have a character in the group who is heavily invested in their perceptiveness, I will often do things where their passive perception gets to shine. Uh, maybe you know I'll I'll set a, a sort of a DC and everyone with a passive perception uh, you know high enough. They noticed what was about to happen. They heard that very faint twig snap right before the ambush, but then the rest of the party didn't. It's a small thing, but it, it A, can lend some excitement because, uh-oh, we yeah. got surprised. But then it also lets those players feel good about the investment they made in their character, which that connects to sort of like a little DM tip I'll throw in, and that is DMs, make sure you have actually read your players' character sheets. Mm. Uh, Not because you need to police how they run their character. Uh, I, I tend to have a pretty light touch as a DM in how players run their characters. But I like to read their character sheets to make sure I'm building in as many hooks as possible to make the players, again, feel great about the character they're playing. Yeah. Uh, because in this co-op game, even though I do like to you know, have the players sometimes on the edge of their seat and they might be scared for their character's welfare, I want them to have a good time and to feel like any time they've invested in detailing their character uh, was not a waste. And there's nothing that's more frustrating as a
0: player, too, where you're like, hey, I've created this entire concept of my character around stealth and surprise but my dm will never let me have any surprise Like right. what the you know it just, it, there's something just really uh off-putting about that that dichotomy and so like when someone as a dm is interested in me like all right i need to you know maybe you don't do it every time but you got to throw that player situations that they have the chance to succeed in the way that they want to absolutely um, but that goes back to another uh, your earlier example of being in a hallway and a group of uh, adventurers seeing goblins, how would you uh begin to initiate that comment say if the co- the the goblins you know are are unaware of the party being there and and how would that begin
4: so if one group manages to surprise every single person in the other group, then really you just get to go to town for an entire round i mean your group uh you all get to take your turns while the other side spends their turn um, really wishing they had been paying more attention. <laughs> it's like how, how did every single one of us get surprised? I, I will usually only have that happen if the players really have done a fun job of describing the ambush that they're, that they're unleashing – I tend not to give away like total surprise just on accident because uh, typically what I'll do is I'll have you know – I'll compare um, passive perception uh, to the stealth if, if one side was being stealthy. If it's just sort of like a random thing that happened, like I just decide on a whim, there's a group of goblins down the hallway that I hadn't planned on being there and maybe some of them are paying attention and maybe some of them aren't, I might decide – uh, to let the, the dice determine how many of them were paying attention. So, like, let's say there are six goblins. Behind the DM screen, I might grab a D6, roll it, and let it tell me how many goblins were actually paying attention.
0: I see. So make it a little bit more of a, uh, uh, you know, not one side or the other type thing, but still up to chance.
4: Because I think unless the group has specifically laid an ambush, it really feels sort of just like I think kind of a cheap giveaway to like – and now you all get a free round of attacking. Right. Like that might be fun the first time it happens, but it starts feeling sort of like a slaughter. Yeah. Whereas if you were clever and you, know, you laid this ambush, you, you figured out how to get the drop of them, I love to reward that. Um, but I don't. I don't like to just sort of randomly. And now everyone just sits there as you carve into them <laughs> with your weapons. I mean, it just sort of. There's something gruesome about that. I mean, granted, there's a lot of. There can be a lot of combat in D and D, but again, I like. I like so often to show how one choice leads to uh, one outcome, and another choice leads to another outcome. Mm. Because one of the beautiful flexibilities we have with D and D is showing. Uh, consequence of showing that player choice really matters in a way that isn 't possible in any other game uh, in a tabletop game with you know a, a game master you know nudging things along in response to the choices the players make, you can give them a sense of influence in the world that is really uh, remarkable and and so, a part of that is I like to not have too much that just feels sort of disconnected. And then, if I do want something random to happen, I make it truly random, and that's when I let the dice decide. That makes sense. And I especially if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to let the dice decide, I often like letting the players roll the dice. Uh, you know, if
0: if so, they control their own fate.
4: Yes, and also so that they can see. We are all in this together when we're looking at that die as It clatters on the table in finding out what's going to happen next because they are seeing not even the DM knows. You know, if I, you know, sometimes I might decide, all right, you know, the, the orc chieftain hurls a javelin at one of you. Yeah. You know, one, two, three, four. Roll a d4 to find out who he throws it at. They'll know, okay, I didn't target any of them. The, yeah. You know, chance decided – uh, who was getting targeted. And then it always
0: ends up being the one that has the least hit points and <laughs> is also the healer. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, and then you're like, oh, God, I, I've done that a few times recently. I'm like, oh, you yeah, know, the dice said you're dead. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Let's deal with the consequences of that.
4: Yeah. Um, now, yeah, so, oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, going all the way back to that initial example of the person at the masquerade ball who pulls out their dagger, and they are the ones who who took sort of the inciting action. yeah because of how swingy the D20 is, they could end up going dead donkey last in the initiative order. I've seen it happen before, where the person who triggered the battle acts last. I like that you said dead donkey. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what that means, but
0: dead donkey last is, yep. is entering my lexicon.
4: <laughs> uh, it, I, I, it, it feels right, doesn't it? It does. It feels right. yes. uh, So everyone just know... Anytime the D20 is in the mix, that is a swingy die, get ready for the unexpected.
0: And even with, uh, you know, a plus six to your initiative, it's still, yeah.
4: And what I encourage groups, players and DMs alike, to do is rather than viewing that as uh, something to chafe against or be unhappy about, Embrace it as a storytelling opportunity. Over over the years, the longer I play D&D and DM D&D, the more I have come to love the unpredictability of the D20 because so often it will create moments that will challenge the DM and the players to really stretch their storytelling ability to come up with a fun reason for why this transpired. Why did the... Ace Rogue who triggered this battle, why did she end up going last? And so I have, I as DM, when I've been confronted by that chain of events, have come up with sometimes just outlandish things going on in the scene that suddenly distracted the person who initiated the entire fight that have then sometimes, as, a, as so often happens in D&D, kind of caused this chain reaction of storytelling where – Half a session might then uh, unfold based on that one D20 role where we you – know, in our effort to come up with a justification for it, bonkers stuff then happened and we all had a better time for it. So uh, to sum that up, I would just say to groups, you know, when the D20 throws you a curveball – catch it, and follow through with the curve. Like, to just see where it leads you. Yeah, uh, and Rather than, like, oh, this is dumb, or this isn't, you know, how it should have played out. No, in D&D, when the D20 does that, it's really showing, no, this is how it's going to play out, and let's ride it. Let's see wh- where this craziness goes. And it
0: doesn't mean the game is broken, or not rewarding. It, You know, like, he- here, this is, this is the game. This is trying to figure out how failures and successes get narrated. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm someone who learns by examples, uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners are too. Uh, in this Masquerade example, say the crack rogue pulls out their dagger, they roll a one on their initiative and is going last. What would be a couple of things that you could say is the reason why that they're going last?
4: They might have been standing near the buffet table and
0: <laughs> seeing an almond pastry.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and the pile of almond pastries might have been stacked so high that right as they pulled out their dagger, their elbow hit that pile of pastries and it came toppling over them. And so they spend most of that first round shaking off <laughs> almond croissants. Yeah. I mean, just. The, the, Kinds of things you can come up with, uh, you know, I, my recommendation is DM, do what I just did, and that is imagine the environment and use the environment as a tool. Use the NPCs as a tool.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think in that way, you know, that might uh, – I've totally done that. Like maybe, oh, you you buffed something, you baffled something, so that's why you're going last. Um, but as a rogue, you'd be like, well, I don't know. I'm a really good combat. I think I would know that I was going to bump into that. So you might do it, something that's beyond their control, like an NPC be like, oh hey, Bob, remember? Yep. Let's go talk. And you're kind of like waiting for your moment to make that first stab while you're
4: you're in that
0: social interaction or whatever,
4: or you or right as you pull out the knife, the person next to you, not the devil in disguise. Uh, but one of the other people at the masquerade ball pulls off their mask and you realize it's your aunt Gladys <laughs> you <know? laughs> <It> was, <laughs> it was a little horrified to yeah. see you pulling out this knife Ooh, yes yes exactly
0: uh, yeah right like making it and and using the environment as a it's a social party that's going on so let's have it be a social reason as to why that is happening
4: exactly I like that a lot yeah and and preferably something that will be fun right uh, to to me the the weird things that the D twenty can often trigger, uh, are often at their best if if they are weird. If the DM leans into the strangeness, uh, into the unexpected, uh, because part of also uh, what that die does for us is it reminds us in our storytelling of a factor in real life is that. None of us know what weird things are going to happen to us on any day of our life. We all have plans. We all have intentions. Uh, But any of our days on this planet, rarely do they play out exactly the way we planned. Uh, I mean I think we could all agree that the day where every single thing goes as planned – It's usually pretty remarkable. Uh, You know, anytime I've had one of those days where, you know, it's it's often been on vacation or on on a weekend where it's like, all right, we're going to do this and then we're going to go here to eat and then we're going to do that. And then if the day plays out exactly as you thought, it's like,
0: whoa. Whoa. Uh, But even then there were probably small unexpected things that might have occurred. Yes. And that's why I think, you know, movies like Groundhog Day or something like where people are caught in a loop that can feel uh, like a sort of hell. Yes. That's not real. That feels like you're in something that is, um, you know, punishing you because it's so alien to what
4: our normal experience is. Exactly. Because our normal experience is, I can intend for this to happen, but chances are something unexpected is going to happen, and I'm going to need to adjust. Yeah. And D&D is always asking us to adjust. Uh, And not just players. The DM, too. The DM is... Is in on this fun ride, uh, especially if the DM embraces it to roll with the unexpected that that the dice produce, uh, and so just always always remember players uh, and even DMs because I've even seen DMs kind of over signal. All right, this is going to happen. Uh, you know, he he brings down his. His great maul and, you know, shatters you over the skull. Oh, oh, wait, I need to roll my D20, natural one. Oh, I guess I didn't do that. It's right. like always remember when you're describing things, when you're signaling what's going to happen, not to get too far ahead of yourself. It's like you can say, all right, right," I'm the first part of what you're doing – then roll the die, then describe the rest.
0: I've totally done bol- all three versions of that where I've ex- done the thing he's gonna smash you in the face and then, like roll I'm like, what? no, he actually does not and you do that, and you <laughs> back it up a little bit or done the like the first half narration and then roll the die and then narrate what happens after that uh or just make it up whole cloth after you see the the, the success or the failure but um I like the ability to uh, uh you know, even if you're like, oh, he's going to smash you in the face, but then like retcon out a little bit like, all right, that was his intention. Everyone saw what was about to occur, but here's what really happened. The mall dropped on his foot, and he, he took 1d6 damage.
4: And even there, as you're narrating, with just a slight tweak, your description about face smashing <laughs> would have been perfect. Because if you had simply said, he swings at your face, roll, and then we find out if he actually met your face yeah
0: uh, and you, you can see the intention you're like this is what the, you can see this is what he's tr- the, the, the combatant mm-hmm. is trying to do, and then you get to see the result exactly
4: you can also wait to describe things until you roll the die. I often like to do a little bit in advance, partly actually to set myself up to be surprised mm. you know again I'll signal sort of what maybe the monster intends to do, but then we'll find out what actually happens uh, and is
0: that you're really getting at a nugget of something because that it's that unexpected part of the game that makes it fun for every single person at the table.
4: Exactly. Uh, I, I, as a DM, would never want to sit down and just predetermine how things are going to play out uh, because I love sitting there or standing uh, and just finding out along with the players what's going to happen next. Yeah. Because uh, none of us know if we really embrace all of those strange twists and turns Uh, that the dice introduce.
0: And it's that unexpected nature that gets the most reaction too, especially if you're like, here, I'm going to narrate up to this point and then you roll the die and and you're like, and it's a one and everyone will get their, oh, I guess that, and and you'll get, oh, it's almost like a joke. It's like the setup and then a joke because everyone doesn't know what to expect and then there's something that happens you get the result and then you get the immediate reaction of everyone at the table. Exactly. And that's d to a t So yeah. don't ignore that. Use initiative in order to enhance the unexpected nature of combat but that's of your game in
4: general. And I love how you just said that because looping back to something I said earlier, initiative isn't just bookkeeping at the start of combat. Yeah. It can be a narrative tool. And Anytime the dice are rolled, not just for attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws, uh, but also for highly specialized rolls like initiative, which is – I mean technically it is a dexterity check. Uh, It's always a chance to narrate and not just one, two, three. This is the order that this battle is going to go in. Now something else I want to talk about real quick about the start of combat. Yeah. And this, again, has to do with trying to keep in mind that in D&D, often you can express your what you hope is going to happen, but it's only usually when you roll that die, unless the DM just says, oh, the thing happens. It's only when the die is rolled uh, or when a certain gate is stepped through in the rules that you'll know for sure what's going to happen. And so – the bit I'm thinking of is people often want to ready actions before combat is even started. The ready action is an action you take in combat. Full stop. Uh, so there really is no such thing as readying before combat has started.
0: Mm.
4: Now, when even though I know that, I will rarely tell a player who says, "Okay, you know, all right, I'm creeping down the hallway and I, I ready to fire at somebody." who, you know, comes into view. Even though I know they're thinking of the ready action in the combat rules, I rarely correct them. What I take that as is their version of signaling to me their intent that they are alert. And so usually then what that means is they won't be surprised at my table. And so even though I will not have the mechanics of the ready action play out I will still reward them for thinking in advance and also, again, for signaling intent. And that is an important bit of being a DM. Players will often say things in a rulesy way. (laughs) That are not the actual rules. That are not the actual rule. I recommend to DMs don't get hung up on that because often our job as dungeon masters is to discern intent. And then we will let the group know when it's relevant which rule to use. It's one reason – one of the reasons why that approach is one of the reasons why I actually find it super easy to teach D&D to people who've never played it before. I actually find it easier to teach people how to play D&D than most board games because after I tell them what the different dice are so they'll know what I mean when I say roll a D4. I really just tell them on your turn, describe what your character does and I'll tell you what rule or what bit of your character sheet is relevant. That's usually what all people really need to know to get going. Yeah. And then most of the rest of the rules you can actually describe as you go along. As long as a DM, you are committed to doing your best to understand the player's intent and take that intent and match it up with the appropriate rule. Uh, and then, again, let the dice uh, determine where things go. And it's because I have that perspective that even though... And because it, it happens a few times a year, especially if I run convention games it mm-hmm. won't it will not be combat, and someone will talk about readying an action unless they press. I will almost never say anything about it and just incorporate that into my decision making about what 's going on and honor the intent uh, that they express
0: right it means that they 're expecting an attack and at the, at the ready for whatever is going to come it doesn 't mean that they 're going to uh, you know, uh, get away with that free attack.
4: <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, people might be wondering, well, why not let people ready outside combat? A DM could certainly allow that. The reason why we didn't design the game with that being one of the core assumptions is, quite honestly, we don't want that level of mechanical detail outside combat. Uh, the ready rule has a lot of... Uh, conditions in it, uh, not conditions like being grappled or prone. What I mean is – you know, vi- Things
0: in order for it to occur.
4: Exactly. And there's, there's quite a bit of specificity in that rule. We generally don't want that amount of specificity to be weighing upon the narrative except for those times when it really matters and time has slowed down And slow down so much that you're playing in six-second increments, which is what's going on in combat. At that point where things are heightened and it's a life-or-death situation, okay, then those sorts of details uh, are great and the game is built to care about them at that point. But when you are really narrating exploration and social interaction and might just have a few die rolls here or there – we generally try not to have kind of the full weight of the rules gorilla you know, beating its chest in the scene. We want the scene to just move uh, and for the DM to hear your intent and then match that to a rule. Uh, and now that, I
0: have an image of you as a gorilla, just showing up at every single game where people are are trying to argue about rules. You are like, it doesn't matter.
4: I am like the I'd be like the Kool Aid guy breaking through the wall. <laughs> yeah, but 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 in gorilla form, but with my glasses on. And then you say, follow your bliss, man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Always follow your bliss. <laughs> and 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 I mean that uh, for the whole table. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I sometimes will see people. They'll they'll hear one of us talk about, you know, the DM is the final adjudicator. And it's like, but what about the players? And again, it's a co-op game. It's about everyone having a good time and about us matching our different forms of fun up with each other. Uh, It's about listening to each other, uh, using the game in a way that pleases as many people at the table as possible.
0: And that is never shown as at the beginning of combat. Like, what's the topic of this
4: safe <laughs> advice? Uh,
0: <laughs> just to bring it all back to what uh, to they, Yeah, so uh, uh, th- I, I, I feel like I know a lot more about how to, to kind of, as I've been dungeon mastering a lot more, uh, uh, how to get that going. So thank you for, for expounding. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you about more uh, ways to uh, <laughs> follow their bliss, <laughs> how could they do
4: that? Uh, I am uh, reachable on Twitter at Jeremy E. Crawford.
0: Excellent. We have to get you in more often and do more uh, uh, sage advice. I always—it's uh, always a joy uh, to, to talk through all these things with I, you. I always love being here. Uh, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll come back with more soon. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. That is always enlightening to speak to Mr. Jeremy Crawford. So sagey. Uh, thank you for coming on, and uh, let's get more. Let's get more sage advice happening. Let's get him a robe. A, a robe of uh, many eyes, I think, is what needs to happen. Yes. He'll be like Halister.
1: We could glue googly eyes all over it.
0: Done. Okay. I'm yeah. just going to go
1: order a robe from, like, Amazon And or a hot
0: glue gun? Yeah. Let's do it. I got one. You got one. Uh-huh. We need a new one, though. We can expense it.
1: And I got, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I got a staple gun. <sighs> Sweet. That might be a little itchy for him, though.
0: That's, you know, but that's the uh, price you have to pay when you are a Sage Advice when Man. you are
1: the sage. <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, so before we get to our interview, I wanted to shout out everything that's going on with podcasts into Avernus. Yes. We released several of these episodes. Seven, in fact, uh, over the... Uh, on our other feed, Dungeon Delve, uh, which is another RSS feed that we've been putting up, live play Dungeons and Dragons podcasts. Uh, the amazing Victoria Rogers from the BroadSwords and Daniel Kwan from uh, Asians Represent put together a continuous story uh, with about with like I said seven other groups um, uh, that strings together a race through. Many of the different planes of the D and D multiverse to find Lulu, the Hollyphant.
1: Oh, I would get in on that.
0: Yeah, the the, the coalition Cute. of concerned Celestials are looking for Lulu. Oh, I love it. And they send it. all of these groups, and uh, they kind of, you know, take the story baton and go through the plane of ice or the plane of uh, oh, uh, that's super other cool. areas, uh, ending, of course, in. The first layer of the nine hells.
1: Hopefully, in Lulu's arms.
0: Yes, and I want to give a special shout out. So you definitely go watch, listen to those. Uh, again, it's on the Dungeon Delve RSS feed. All you can download all of them now, and hopefully, you'll find some new podcasts that you might love to listen to. Uh, they have their own ongoing stories that they are participating in, That's and really are really fun. Um, but I wanted to thank Victoria Rogers because she had a hard drive malfunction. Uh, and lost many, many, many audio oh, files no. within it. One of which was the episode for this podcast into Avernus, and she burned all of the midnight oil, uh, including uh, you know several uh, you know pentagrams worth of creatures' uh, blood to get her episode done and it is fantastic and worthwhile uh, and I know what it's like to lose that type of project and never be able to recover it and get it back and uh, so uh, shout out to Victoria good
1: job Victoria she's
0: been working on putting together many of these podcasts uh, and uh, is instrumental to the community so thank you go listen to it uh, and get more information about what's going on in Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus from all of the glory within shall we make it so?
1: Make it so.
0: All right. We are going to now speak to Chris Perkins and Wes Schneider uh, about Tyranny of Dragons now. (laughs) We have some amazing people here to speak to. We have Wes Schneider. Hello. Yay.
1: We have a live studio audience. Woo. Yeah. 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 Oh, We
0: got a huge uh, fan of you up to out there. Three people in the audience. <laughs> Five <laughs> the people are here. There, and you can put this right in your mouth hole it's if you can. Theater
1: of the mind.
0: Yes, uh, and then we have Mr. Chris Perkins. Hi. Yay. Hi. Oh no. got a big fan of your dog. <laughs> I'm a <big> Milo fan. <laughs> I love that you have to tell the joke after you do it. You're like, oh by the way, they like Milo. I can they bring don't my dog know. next they time. But like, you I can bring my dog next time.
1: Like, what?
0: It's, yeah. Can could, you? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll bring our dog to podcast. Day.
1: Can he can we interview him? Sure. Okay.
0: You guys have just scripted
2: like three special ses- sessions with Chris, like we while we've been here. I know. It's <laughs> how true. this We're works. We're
1: going to bring you back to talk to your dog. Can you
3: um, I don't talk back? to them normally. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only is the, chance oh, we get. That sounds nice. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> nice. <That's okay>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, this is On every- your show, no less. <laughs> Many of it's, Dragon uh, Talk um, listeners' introductions to Wes. This is this is the, uh, the 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 straight fire that we get here in the office. That's right. This is the banter that you usually have to be sitting within five feet of me to get. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to tell you again. You got to be up on the oh, microphone, yep, yep, or yep. else uh, uh, Lisa will get mad at you. Uh,
2: t- t- don't be comfortable. Okay.
0: Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Try to sit up straight. And but uh, well, you can move it anywhere. You just you know I, apparently you're in the area that's hardest to get okay. to with the uh, okay. with, okay. The, sorry, with the arms. I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, who is who is Wesley Schneider? Absolutely.
2: Uh, uh, I'm Wes Schneider, as was stated already. Uh, I'm the editor here on Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I've been working on D&D in some capacity or permutory permutation since the early aughts, uh, starting Ooh. as an assistant editor on Dragon Magazine. Oh. Uh, when I was five. When, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, too long ago. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been working here at Wizards for about the last year on D&D, and uh, Tyranny of Dragons is one of the first projects that I've had a hand in helming and whatnot, so... Mm-hmm. Really? It's about to come out, this and is, we're here to talk to you guys about it. This yeah. is great. On your show, which you two run. You also... Any other... I, a lot also, of air quotes going
0: around here.
1: You are also a contributor to Widow's Walk. It's true. You wrote Absolutely. one of the Absolutely. Yes. I've
2: yes. had the pleasure of working with Shelley at least one
0: time before. At least.
1: And you also edited Dungeon Mayhem. Yep. So there.
0: Lots of projects. <laughs> Lots of projects on you your belt. you a long belts. rap sheet. Uh, when, did you, when did you start playing D and D or RPGs was that mm. uh, early on, and then it was a uh, uh, yeah,
2: pretty early on. So probably. You know, middle school age and whatnot, 12, 13, that sort of deal.
0: What uh, What drew you in? What was the, the the story? Is there an origin story for you?
2: Oh yeah, we started playing Vampire.
0: Ooh. We started playing Vampire, but didn't really grok
2: the setting, <laughs> so we started playing Vampire in the Forgotten Realms. Whoa! Like you do, yeah. Um, like no
0: one does. Like Who
2: no was this? Um, you and Seattle. some friends. Me <laughs> and some friends. Yeah. Um, So we start playing that and decided, like, hey, maybe instead of vampire in this, like, weird campaign setting with, like, the swords and the monsters and the dragons and whatnot, which we're more gravitating towards than vampires, Mm -hmm. maybe we take this in a direction that, like, is actually what the game says on the tin (laughs) and play D&D. So. Oh, so still had a lot of fun with vampire and whatnot, but very much went that sort of direction after that. Instead of trying to kit bash our own, our own game from. Were you the the dungeon master or every the- single time? Oh, really? really? Oh yeah. Yeah, that. As soon as I learned, like, hold on, this is a thing that you get to do. Like, you get to hold these people's lives in the palm of your hand. Yes, always. Why? Why wouldn't I do that? Yes, in a control freak. I mean, I'm I'm an editor,
1: (laughs) 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 and you like to tell people all the things they do wrong.
0: Uh, Is that true? There's a lot of ways to phrase these things. (laughs) 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 Not to put words in your mouth.
1: That's an editor. No, so did you? Uh, were you the ones then that introduced your friends to D and D? If you were the dungeon master, were you the one that discovered it? That was like three hundred years ago.
0: Yeah.
2: Like. <laughs> Wait, I thought we were you were five, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think so. I was the one that definitely started steering us more in the D and D route um, into something that was less like here. Let's have modern, deep feelings about cities we've never been to in the real world, and like bloodshed uh, into bloodshed. like let's imagine places and oh. bloodshed a, a
1: young a young Wesley
0: <laughs> young Your Wesley Shed. already molding people's lives that's right yes. just
2: as much gray hair though
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you were like Steve Martin yes <laughs> <laughs> Went gray very early. Uh, that's really cool. I, I I love the idea of being a dungeon master through and through. Is it just because you know no one in your friend group wanted to, to jump in and do it, or you, you know is it just you just love that role?
2: Oh, like for me, the monsters have always been the best part of the game. So mm. it's like, oh, this is the role where you get to play the monster. Oh, you get to play all the monsters. Oh, I get to play this whole book of monsters. Yes, absolutely that. I, oh you you're and you're going to play a fighter okay, well, enjoy playing a fighter. I'm going to play all of these monsters.
0: That's cool. I
2: got
3: eye rays and mind blasts and mm -hmm. bangs and, yeah. So many more cooler
0: abilities. Uh, So good. We've established that you're a monster. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Good to know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is that still your preferred role? Oh, 100%. I'm
0: so much more comfortable DMing.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah. Um and uh so what was it like getting your first uh you said the early 2000s how how did how did you get into writing professionally then
2: uh, I was a freelancer for Dragon Magazine for a good long while I decided like f- at some point in med- middle school like when the career counselor comes around it's like okay so which like you know D- heavy metals welding job, would you like to perform in as an adult? I was oh. like, I would like to be the editor in chief of Dragon
3: Magazine. Whoa. And they were like, got, like
1: I. A similar path to this guy.
3: Mm. Um, <laughs> so, uh,. They put you in a special room. Pretty much. <laughs>
2: they were they were very much like, We
3: well, don't know what that
2: is. And that sounds a lot like cult leader. So <laughs> you go over there. Um so but yeah, after after that running many games with like a bunch of friends got into um Took more of an English and a journalism route mm-hmm. in high school and college and then from there got out of college and it was like, ah, Dragon magazine is hiring for an assistant editor. No let way. me put in for that. Got that job, moved from Baltimore, Maryland, out to here and been here ever since. Wow.
1: Seriously, that's how like really you saw the job listed that you yeah. wanted?
3: Like th- two months after wrapping up college. Chris,
1: you had a similar... He he did kind of the same thing. Yeah,
3: I decided at a very early age I was going to be the editor of Dungeon Magazine. (laughs) Not Dragon. (laughs) Right. Because I was big into adventures, that's why. Yeah. Crazy. And
0: that's where I landed. And uh, the, uh, sh- didn't Shauna Wolf Narciso also f- f- follow up on an ad? Which just like, yep, I'm just going to apply and see I if I can, I can get in there. You did Smile. too? I
1: mean, I didn't know it was for Wizards, though, because j- it just said, Promotions Coordinator, send resume, send it. Like, go print it on, like, nice thick paper that you can't afford because... Oh, so this was you're... the Dark Ages. It was. <laughs> and it, it said P.O. Box, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea what the company was. Hmm. None. Wow. Wow.
0: Wow. And you wow, just ended up here. At least these guys had a clear, like, I want to work for a publication. No.
1: I just wanted a job.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't have a career counselor come around in middle school or high school or college. This is scared? how I ended up as a theater major. Nice. <laughs> that sounds fun.
0: I
3: can relate. But it's practical. I mean, here, right?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, many. many So you're you're putting
3: you're flexing your theater muscles.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
3: All the voices that you're throwing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all right here. uh.
1: Wait, I had a new one. I have a new voice.
3: Oh.
1: (laughs) 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 Too scared now. (laughs) I don't remember how I did it. This was
3: just like school. This happens more often than you think. I'm
1: I'm Raven from Teen Titans, right? Raven. (laughs) Do you watch Teen Titans? No. Oh. I nailed it. I nailed it. It's
0: got some Daria in there, too, from uh, MTV. I don't know Daria. You never watched that in the 90s? Well, anyway. Anyway. We digress. Back to... Back to tyranny of Dragons. So, uh, it's been five years since 5th edition came out, which is insane. Mm -hmm. That's a real sentence that just came out of my mouth. Uh... What was it like? I mean, we've talked a lot about developing the core rule books and stuff like that, but these first adventures uh, and, and uh, how we wanted to focus on, on dragons, what was that all?
3: Oh, it's all such a blur, because as this dragon story was getting life breathed into it, Jeremy and I were in the throes of pushing the core rule books and the starter set out the door, oh, yeah. which is why we turned to Kobold Press. To help us execute on the adventure. Yes. So Tyranny of Dragons was the name of the campaign, and the adventures were called Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat, as many people know. It was it, – I don't remember exactly the circumstances that led to us splitting the adventure into two books, except I think it was a work effort thing mm. that – it would have, been, it would have re- been too much of a demand, really, for us to coordinate with Kobold and get a big book out when we could stagger them out separately. Right. So it was originally conceived as a single unified Volume. story. But we, we split it up for, for practical reasons, and that allowed Kobold the time to give it the attention that it needed and for them to ramp up their resources, because they had never done a fifth edition product before. They had mm. to yeah, digest the new have. rule set. Um, get people on board with that rule set, and then deliver an adventure that was pretty ambitious. It was, it was touted at the time as Dragonlance in the Realms. And the reason we chose dragons, of course, is because the game's called Dungeons and Dragons. I was
1: going to ask. I and was, we wanted our first big
3: assumption. story to have some Dungeons and Dragons in it, right? And so, some ampersands. Yeah, we may have gone a little heavy on the dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they're there—a um, whole bunch of them, including the the big mama dragon herself, Tiamat, um, who had been bitching at us for years to feature her in a story. So get me in. it Thank was, you uh, yeah. When you have five dragon heads screaming at you, <laughs> use me. Why did it take you so long <laughs> to
1: listen
3: to her? Because uh, she's in hell. So okay. and she was then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but in Tyranny of Dragons, she, she gets out or almost gets out gets as close to getting out as she's had in many, many years. And that's kind of what the story is about. It was crafted as, can you keep Tiamat locked away in the Nine Hells, or will the forces that support her succeed in bringing her into the world? Nice.
0: Um, And uh, I think a lot of people don't realize just what a Herculean effort it was to get three core rule books, which are all 320 pages, out the door, Mm -hmm. the starter set, as well (laughs) as the first big adventure. I mean, because most adventures before that, were not of the sprawling size that, right. that the 5th edition adventures yes. have been. Most of
3: them were of the 16 to 32 page. Yeah, when 3rd edition variety. launched, they launched a, an Adventure Path series that had, you know, the Sunless Citadel and the Forge of Fury and so on and so forth is yeah. kind of their, let's go out the door. And we, we just decided, hey, big book. Yeah. So that's a lot to try to do in one yeah. year. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm casting revivify spells on Jeremy every Sunday after <laughs> <laughs> he died every weekend. Yeah, and uh, so the, the heavy lifting was how do we in- how do we develop a story that incorporates all the major evil dragon types? How do we capture the sort of epicness of a Dragonlance scope story, but in the Forgotten Realms? Mm-hmm. Where do we set it? We had to make a decision to use the Sword Coast as the playground for that story. Yeah, um, Part of the reason for that is we knew that there was a site called the Well of Dragons, and that's located in the, the Heartlands, not too far from the Sword Coast, so that kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we had to do a lot of behind-the-scenes development, like what do dragon cultists look like? Mm-hmm. What does Waterdeep look like in 5th edition? What does Neverwinter look like? Um, what does the Sword Coast look like? So All that, these things had to be addressed through concept art. And,
1: but how do they change? Like from like addition, like what <laughs> happens, what changes happen in the addition that you're working on that inform a change to what a city in the Forgotten Realms is going to look like or what cultists look like?
3: Not necessarily the rules it, change. It's
1: just a need to refresh it or is there actual like a need to address something very different in a city now?
3: I think that... Like, for instance, 5th edition is um, embraced inclusiveness and diversity uh, in its system, in its art, in its storytelling. But we didn't see that reflected necessarily in some of the characters. Right. Um, So some effort had to be taken in the story to make sure that we have diversity. Um, And it was it's been a steady learning curve for us each each new story is a new opportunity to even do a, a better job at it but we were we were looking at the characters looking at the villains looking at everything looking at the cities the settings and trying to figure out how to what what needs to change about the forgotten realms to make it feel more contemporary to our contemporary audience as oh, yeah. opposed to just presenting the presenting the realms as it existed when it was first created back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it's a
1: cool opportunity to to
3: do that. And sometimes the changes are almost invisible to to most people, but they're important to us and they're important to the future of the world and where we're going.
0: That's a good point because it's not necessarily a refresh, as you're saying, but it's like a way to um, recalibrate for how we're going to be presenting story content going forward.
3: Right, yeah. And we were, at the time, Tyranny of Dragons being worked on we were still trying to figure out what a fifth edition adventure was. Yeah. Uh, how, how is it structured? How do we want to build these things? How do we make it more useful to DMs? How do we make it easier for DMs to run? And, you know, and then also trying to get Kobold in with that. Um, and I think over time, we just continue to refine and develop how our adventures are presented, which is great because circling back around now, five years later, being able to release Tyranny of Dragons in its collected form we can put some of those lessons about adventure design and adventure layout into practice things we didn't know five years ago
0: yeah and uh, uh Wes that's, you said it's been in one of your big projects coming in and taking these two volumes and smashing them into one that's pretty much all you had to do right was just get pretty some tape, <laughs> get just some tape. A cut and paste <laughs> just peel the front
2: cover off one the back of the other lick both sides put them together
0: easy peasy <laughs> yeah that was like a half hour project yeah <laughs> so
2: thanks for having us. Nope. No problem. Yeah,
0: good to go. Let's, uh, let's talk about cheese going forward. No, but yeah, what, what was it like coming into this and, and, and having to, I mean, metaphorically do that? So the situation
2: was very much presented as we've got these two books. We want to put them together. It shouldn't be too labor intensive because we've got, look, we've got the text already. All the art is here. So it'll be fine. Lick, lick, slap, dumb. Um, As we got into it, there are a number of other elements that go into the creation of making a book a coherent thing. And when two books have all of their coherent things, you wind up with a number of redundant organs when Mm. you're trying to put them together. So what we ended up doing as we were going through was in addition to creating just a whole new introduction for the book, which aims much more at like – hey, this is a celebration of five years of design and this uh, this really epic adventure and whatnot. Let's create an introduction that feels more like it is for a campaign, an entire overarching epic feeling adventure rather than two individual things. So one of the big elements was going through and setting up, here's the villains, here's the heroes, here's all of the elements of this, Campaign that you're going to need to be paying attention to over the course of the entirety, rather than just for this part or for this part. Right. So that ended up being one huge element of it. Um, there's a number of smaller things that we can get into, but the other big addition was since we now had the breadth of an entire, um, an entire major giant book. Yeah. Um, we ended up adding in a whole new appendix. That, as Chris was talking about, there was so much work done on creating new looks for the edition, new looks for the characters, new looks for dragons. So much thought put into, like, what some of the major villains, like, the cult of the dragon might look like. We had a ton of fantastic art that had never seen the light of day. So we ended up creating a whole new 30-some page concept
0: art gallery that really
2: explored...
0: All of that work, right? And that—that that, I didn't realize it was thirty pages. That's a lot of pages. Yeah, it's pretty uh, significant. Uh, and it, it was a lot of the reconceptualization that you were talking about, Chris. Yeah,
3: a lot of that art originated was originally created to fill a story bible. And story bibles are things that we put together to uh, support a marketing campaign built around a product or an adventure idea. And we're all familiar with them, but a lot of people probably don't know what goes into them. But it's—it's kind of like a product that we never release. Yeah and it's they're, they're not big but they tend to be very art heavy and uh, very heavily art directed and there is a lot of good art which doesn't end up in the product um, because a lot of the concept art isn't taken to its final state state
0: um, yeah those those story guides have, I mean, yeah. they've been uh, instrumental for me in my yeah. job as far as understanding what's the important parts of the stories that we're going to be coming out with yeah. in years to come and what we are, use them it, it in, touches like, on so key many themes of the story yeah.
3: um, which we often don't overtly talk about in the products themselves but are important for the look and feel yeah uh, it is also uh, key to our business partners to have these so that they can riff on the story so Cryptic, who works on our Neverwinter MMO, they may not tell the story literally the same way we do it in a printed book, but they'll take elements mm-hmm. from the story guide and recombine them into something that feels like it belongs as in this family of products that we're putting together for the story.
0: Yeah, and that was something that you didn't do in previous editions, no.
3: right? No, we did not have story Bibles prior to 5th edition.
0: Yeah, and that's I think that...
3: Did you make one for Tyranny of
0: Dragons? I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was like the first kind of mm-hmm. iteration of that. Yeah. I would love and to it, see that. It
3: was actually, I would, by today's standards of story guides, it was a little bloated. Mm. Um, we've shortened them down and tightened them up since. I think Tyranny of Dragons was like a 64-page book. Ouch. Whereas the one I, I finished a few months ago for a future unnamed product was 16. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's a big difference. Yeah. Do you write the story Bible after the story is done, or does the story Bible inform the actual work that's getting done?
3: It is usually written before anybody outside the company has to do anything with it. But uh, we often put together the story Bible. At the same time, we're working on products internally tied to it, and one can inform the other. That's, that's a really good like starting
0: point. I'm glad that we get to show yeah. that stuff at the end no. of, uh, of, of this Tyranny of Dragons uh, I product. I kind yeah. of
1: love that idea for future projects, or yeah. products. Just, I mean, to see that, art, no, like not to give you extra work. An extra 30-some oh, pages of sentence. every speaking, book. But speaking of extra work. I love that yes. idea.
3: Um, one of the things, and Wes can talk about this a little bit more, that we had an opportunity to do with Tyranny of Dragons, which we don't usually get to do with our adventures, is incorporate feedback.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so there's – just over the course of having anything out in the wild for five years, we've got a ton of feedback back from the audience on, well, oh, this this encounter didn't quite land for us or we'd like to see this adjusted or whatever have you. So in the course of reopening the patient, which we so rarely get to do beyond just like errata updates um, – we ended up... <laughs> Why are you having so many <laughs> bodily dismemberment metaphors? Oh, no. Because but every Justin's part organs. of creating one of these books is sloppy and messy and dangerous. Wait, that's uh, not how I think of surgeries. <laughs> Can I talk to your doctor? Because I think there's something wrong. Oh, was of- I implying surgery? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Just a typical Friday night for
0: Wes. <laughs> <laughs> he did say he did start playing vampires. So that that makes a little bit of sense. <laughs>
2: uh, so, Blood in going yet. back through <laughs> yeah right um, so, in going back through this we 've had the opportunity to incorporate a ton of that in addition to just throughout the entire book being able to just go through and you know tighten up language here and there or make minor adjustments to the rules or whatever mm-hmm. have you um, some of the big elements have been like the or one of the major um, responses that we got to the first adventure was that the opening encounters are a real meat grinder. It's like, I I really would love to play this campaign, but I keep dying (laughs) to the first monster. (laughs) Um, No one knows
1: how it ends.
2: Exactly. So that's been something where we've gone back and we've taken a uh, pretty solid look at the entire first series of encounters, rebalanced those, and set that up in such a way that it does a better job of guiding you into the full the full campaign rather than just being like This is a wall, get over it or don't. Or don't play.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was instrumental in uh, it being the first adventure, right? Like being yes. able to learn the, the new system, how to test boundaries. I mean, it was it's a it was a, a big task for, for Wolfgang's team uh, mm-hmm. yeah. at, at Cobalt to be able to yeah. take all that. And, and they didn't
3: have the luxury of a great deal of playtesting time. They could do some internal playtests at the time, but not much else. Yeah. Later adventures, we build in more playtesting time. Right, because Lessons there's a learned. schedule
0: that's not having yeah. to do exactly. three core rule books at the same time. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's great, and I I mean, I want to ask this question because it's probably, uh, strange, but, like, given the work that you guys have done for decades on RPGs, have you ever had the chance to go back five years and do a reissue of something like this? It's pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say additions are like that, but, you know, this is a little bit more like, hey, we can finally refine what we want to do.
2: Yeah. I mean, typically, and we were just joking about this a little earlier, like, typically when something goes out the door, it's like, all right, this has gone to the printer. There is already the next project and the next project and the next project to think about. So rarely do you have the opportunity to be like, ooh, now that we've you know discovered this other technology, we would have done it like this mm, had
3: yeah. we the, to- the time. Right, new additions notwithstanding. Like I've worked on a number of monster manuals over the years. Yeah. You could say that they're continuations of one another <laughs> or developments of one another, but in the, whatever, 600 to 1,000 different RPG products I've worked on, I don't remember the last time it's happened, so this is a rare thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: and it's pretty cool, I think, for people who uh, have come into Dungeons & Dragons... More recently than five years ago, to be able to go yeah. back and get this, uh, you know, this first flavor and taste of what fifth edition storytelling could be like.
3: Yeah, with a nice Hydro seventy four cover. It's I know gorgeous. that cover is that cover. amazing. Oh,
0: that's amazing! Showing Tiamat in all five of her heads, yep. in all of their glory. She's
1: mm-hmm. beauty. Yeah,
0: Tiamat. Um, Chris even
2: worked in a uh, quote in Draconic on the back of it, which folks will have to get the book to see what it to decipher it. But yes,
3: they can use the Draconic cipher that's in the player's handbook. Sweet. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. I' so uh, say
1: I love Milo?
3: No,
0: but I should. <laughs> <laughs> but so everybody knows that. Right. I mean, really. Um, does
3: Tiamat use all
0: five of her heads to speak? Or yeah. She,
1: do they all speak at the same time, or do they take turns?
3: That's a good question. So
2: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. a second delay.
3: Yeah, so <laughs> the, the brains are all sort of wired together, so it's more like they're finishing each other's sentences.
1: I feel like that could get really annoying, trying to talk to her.
3: Do oh, they have God. different well, personalities? Well, okay. you've been in a room with five executives, right? Well, so <laughs> I,
1: mostly, it's just like it's kind of the same thing. <laughs>
3: What's <on>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, but seriously, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, um, when you realize that they're all kind of w- hardwired into each other's thoughts. It reminds me of, and I'm not sure this is what you're going for, but uh, it's the- different from Demogorgon, by the way, who argues with his heads.
0: Yeah, they actually they're, have distinct, personalities. personalities. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it reminds me of the eels from The Little Mermaid. Yeah. How they talk over sun. each other and, yeah, and exactly. are basically finishing others' thoughts the whole it's time. It's very much like that. Yeah. So Ooh, I guess I've
1: always just accepted Tiamat as a five-headed dragon. But now that I think about her, what the hell happened there?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, there was some surgery where they had a head <laughs> organs. An <on>. editor came. <laughs> and just attached the head. And it just kept yeah, it's, cutting it's, and pasting it's dragons. It's funny you should mention that because every time we tackle – Matt as a miniature, we are artists can often hide things when they portray her in an illustration. Yeah. But where her parts join and where red turns into blue, turns into green, turns into black, turn, where that all blends, it's really, really hard to pull off a miniature as it turns out. Oh. Um, and we don't even think about it most of the time. Right. So the, the answer to your question is she is what she is and she has always been. She doesn't have a mama, she doesn't have a papa, so she but, wasn't made in a traditional way. She
2: oh
1: that's so sad. She
3: she is <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's why she's a villain, right? And she's
1: never just she's, like she's never had children.
3: She's had consorts, but I don't think that they're consorts in they're just, you know, token male dragons to keep her around to keep her company. Dragon not, boy toys. Yeah. Dragon boy toys. She doesn't make little tiamats. No. Or even really little dragons. Draconians. All oh, right. No. That's different. Well, there's a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but Draconians are made in a weird-ass way, which if we haven't talked about it in a lore, you should know we should. We totally
0: should. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then also the, the Tachesis versus TMS. Matt. Right. Yeah. They're the same. Are they? What if they get into a fight? I don't know. Who like, would win? In a mirror?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't, like, it's a 10-headed
3: dragon.
0: Like,
1: I don't understand time travel. I get too overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't know what. I can't stop. Can you can just, imagine
3: how Bahama feels? He's only got one head.
1: No. no, but I like. I don't understand this Takisas Tiamat. Like it's Like oh. it feels like time travel to me. Like oh, I'm just not going to think about it too long because it's.
3: Well, like, you you could imagine that.
1: No, I probably can't.
3: Two different worlds <clears throat> might call the same thing two different things.
1: Two different. Okay. All right.
3: Yeah. So there's. But they that. look different. Do they though? I mean, additions. <laughs> Being, being what they are, that's actually true because um, we've changed to some extent the dragon heads on some of our dragons. Like the black dragon, for instance, um, changed dramatically between editions. In what way? It's, you know, we now know it with these sort of curved, sloping, forward-pointing horns. Yes. The black dragon... as it appears on Tiamat on the cover of DL14 Dragons of Triumph Mm -hmm. has straight horns that go back. Interesting. Yeah, And that was true in the original uh, that was the original design of the black dragon back in first edition.
1: So why did it change?
3: Oh, that's a huge conversation. It is? Um, Yeah, it it mostly centers around the reconcepting of dragons for third edition that was done by Sam Wood and Todd Lockwood.
2: And actually a lot of that art is in this product in the art gallery in the back. Yeah. Oh, really? really? Yep, along with little notes on here's how it would swim and here's where it would breathe and this is what a baby looks like. And oh, I got to see that. And so forth.
1: But, like, w- did it change because it was based on, like, um, this is, like, physically, like, physics would prevent this, like, or is it just, like, no, it, is was, it not aesthetics? Like, what what is it?
3: It was... It was largely an aesthetic change, and uh, there was, uh, as the dragons were being reconcepted for third edition and modeled in terms of their body structure after cats, Uh that sort of led the artists down the road of playing with the dragon heads a little bit to make their profiles more distinct, so that if you saw them in silhouette, they'd be Mm -hmm. more differentiated from okay, one another. I
1: can see that. Other
3: than just the color you could look at. Yeah. Correct. And yeah, see if it. you were looking You'd at black silhouettes silhouette of them, you would, you would know recognize the yeah.
0: black dragon from the green, from the white, from the Interesting. red. Interesting. Yeah. And I love how WizKids has been using the uh, dragon heads trophies uh, yeah. and we have several of them hanging We have in a big dragon, office. black
3: dragon head one and we have a red dragon head one. So yeah, far and
0: in relative office. proximity to each other yes. so it's really <laughs> cool to see the two of them and, and note the differences and what they mean. You know. When we get
3: all five, Tiamat will officially be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's
0: the first. Thing. If, if WizKids does do the green and the yeah. blue and the, the white, white yeah. then uh, that's going to be some surgery. We're going to have to cut them all up, paste them all together, and literally make a, a, a life-size Tiamat.
3: Make your own one-quarter size Tiamat. This or for Halloween, we can have five people in the apartment dress up with Tiamat heads oh my gosh. and run around as a Tiamat.
1: You just gave me, that just triggered a memory of, for me. A story that you once told me about oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go. You set yourself up for that one. I mean, it's a little off topic. But once you told me a story about a Halloween costume when you had quite the ordeal. My costume fail. Your yeah. costume fail. Would you, could you please tell the story again, yes. Mr. Perkins? When I,
3: when I was uh, of an age that could be summarized in single digits, my okay. mother made me a Halloween costume. I was a robot. And the robot costume was basically a tin foil covered box that covered my head, okay. with a tin foil covered bigger box that covered my torso, with my arms stuck out with tin foil wraps around them, and my legs sticking out the bottom of the big box with more tin foil wraps, and then um, shoes that were basically Kleenex boxes wrapped in tin foil.
1: God, clever! This is before pinups. Okay,
3: box, box, shoes, right? Arms and legs sticking out. Anyway. Because the big box basically was my entire torso down to my knees, I had no flexibility in my body. So as I was climbing up a very, very small hill, it must have been maybe like two feet high, (laughs) to get to a neighbor's door, I slipped and toppled over. And I could not get back up. (laughs) So imagine this seven-year-old kid flailing around on his back in a robot costume on some stranger's lawn Kids, other kids walking by, and I'm just going, "Help, help, help, help me!" Help
1: me. <laughs>
3: and nobody would stop and help me.
1: No. Why? That's the part that really crushes me. I they, did, because they it was funny. Candy? did they take your candy? You're lucky this Facebook or any social media. But did they take your candy?
3: I didn't get my candy stolen. No. Okay, good. No,
1: it was, they weren't that mean. Yeah, but nobody came to help. Maybe they thought it was part of your costume. Like you were like, you "Oh, may- these flailing robots, yes.
0: beep noises." So <laughs> oh. it
3: was very sad.
1: Eventually, because <laughs> like, you are here and you're not wearing a robot costume, somebody helped you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, could
3: it have been? Eventually? Tiamat? We must assume since yes. you're here. Eventually, yes. Because <laughs> I was not getting up on my own.
1: Was it Tiamat? <laughs> 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 no, Tiamat.
3: I don't remember.
1: <laughs> Has this story ever informed anything you've ever written? Might have for been D&D? Princess Leia. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. Seems
3: like her. Has has the story ever informed yeah. anything?
1: Anything you've ever written.
3: It's made me hate science fiction with a burning passion. You're well, like, I'll you. never be a robot again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just that story stays with me all yeah. just forever. Yeah.
3: It's it's a it's a pretty hilarious image.
1: Were you trick or treating alone? Yeah. At seven?
3: It was Canada. Oh, in yeah.
1: Canada, you can do that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it, it, was, it was a more innocent time.
1: Yeah, I know because kids don't do that now.
3: That's yeah. kind of sad. I know they're yeah. br-
1: almost not even. Allowed to go to houses. Yeah. What do
3: I remember? We didn't didn't go around with flashlights, nothing. Just big garbage bags to hold all the candy in.
1: Yes. Oh, I remember that. Hoarding my candy until Valentine's
3: Day. Like a a hoard of the Dragon Queen. Like a
1: hoard of the Dragon Queen back Oh, and let me tell you something
3: else. (laughs) Halloween in Canada is cold, okay? Like it was cold out there. Yeah. If I didn't stop flailing, I would have frozen to death.
1: So, but the tin, I'm wondering if, like, the (laughs) tinfoil...
3: It makes it even cooler that they didn't help you.
1: (laughs) Like, kept you a little warmer? Because you
3: were covered in tinfoil? No, it's just a hollow cardboard box. You didn't have, like, a a parka on under there? Oh, I don't remember what I had underneath. I'm sure I had something. My mother wouldn't let me just go out with a cardboard box on me.
1: When you came home, were you really mad at your mom? (laughs) Because she made this costume that made you
0: fall down and...
3: (laughs) I don't know. She's I, I love that Shelly's like trying to get to the heart of this this yeah. topic. She's I, like, you, you'd have to, you'd I, have to hypnotize me and get that information because you know. I just don't Why remember. Why did you
2: like the story, Shelly?
3: Because she's cruel. Cool? Like, I do TMA? actually. It's funny she mentioned that because like when TMA I did finally when I did that? finally get home, I couldn't actually get up the steps into my house, so I had to stand out on the front stoop and just shout, "Mom, let me in." Mom, get Mom. this off. That's all. Man.
0: Wow. And you were only one year old at the time.
2: Oh,
3: if you count, yeah, yeah. You know, in, a leap year. In leap years, I would have been two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it, I think it's I got a informed. birthday next year. You do Ooh, a real one? Yeah, nice. we have a leap year. Yeah, nice. Twenty twenty,
0: a lot of changes will be happening then. All right, uh, I sure hope so. <laughs> yes, <yeah>, me too. <laughs> Tiamat is a wonderful character. Yeah, we you want do. to slay <laughs> as much as we possibly can.
2: Don't share traumas through all showing. of. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I feel like the story was a little sadder this time. But like the first time okay. you said it, you might have said it with like more humor. Oh,
3: okay. Because now yeah. I
1: I do have like a sense of sadness around me. Right
0: now. <laughs> that like, sounds like something a robot would say. Would yeah. I understand your human emotions now.
1: Huh. Tell me that super funny Halloween story. I'm falling
0: down, oh, can't get up. I, was,
1: I watched my dog. Get oh hit man, by a bar. I've tried to segue
0: away from this like four times. <laughs> I'm like, let's keep going back. back in. Okay,
1: okay, okay.
0: So you're a dragon. What do you do? <sighs> Uh, so we've talked about all the fun things that uh, are going to be in this Tyranny of Dragons, the, the cool cover. the, the uh, All
3: the pages. All, all the, the pages,
0: pages. that all are going to be in it. All the gonna, pages. One of them. Um, But I realize now that there might be people who uh, don't know what the basic storyline of, of of Tyranny of Dragons was. What, what if someone who has not played through it, what would be some key selling points to be like, hey, this is a good time to jump in and replay this adventure?
2: So some of the big elements is, are if you're... If you want your Dungeons & Dragons game to feature the Dungeons & the Dragons, I mean, that's right out the gate. The number of different locations that you go to through the course of this as you're fighting against the Cult of the Dragon, their whole deal is that they're on the cusp of bringing Tiamat into the Forgotten Realms and just having her lay waste to everything in a sort of... mm, ill-conceived, oh, I'm sure we'll be fine. Like, she won't destroy us sort of plot. Um, But as you're fighting against various representatives of the Cult of the Dragon and their allies, like the Red Wizards, you're just going up and down the Sword Coast, um going through dungeons, facing off against red wizards, encountering every different shade of dragon, what there is, and finally, by the climax of the adventure, taking the fight right to the call of the dragon, uh, at the well of dragons, facing off against uh, Tiamat, potentially, if you're not able to stop them from summoning her, if you fail at that, then she actually ends up, spoiler, busting through, <laughs> and then you have to contend with... Um, a dragon goddess that you're probably, it's going to be a challenge. at 30. Yeah. And you're 15th level.
0: Wow.
3: Enjoy. Yeah. Now, but the other thing that's cool about this, and uh, it was very bold to do at the time, it has a lot of politics in it. Mm -hmm. So if you like political intrigue wrapped up with your dragons and your dungeons, this is the story for you because part of your success hinges on you being able to build a coalition um, and to send... Basically, get armies together to help you uh, help you deal with the coalition that's on Tiamat's side. So that's was, kind of interesting.
0: Which was the introduction of yeah. the factions?
3: It was mm-hmm. yes. We had sort of crafted these five different player-friendly factions. I call them. Pr- they're not friendly necessarily factions, but they're player-friendly they're factions. Player-friendly: uh, the Zentarrim, the Harpers, the Emerald Enclave, the Order of the Gauntlet, and the Lords Alliance. Mm-hmm. And we put a lot of effort into making sure that they each had their thing, mm-hmm. their shtick, their, their selling points, their points of attraction, things like that. Different classes and different alignments would sort of gravitate toward different groups. But they were all kind of united in this down with Tiamat thing. And if you could get them all together and agree to provisions and terms and stuff in this story, then you could build a coalition to go off and fight um, and not have to do everything by yourself. And that's a key element of the story, is making friends.
0: And as you were saying, if, if Tiamat is a, on her own AC uh, challenge rating of 30, yeah. plus all of her minions and all of her Cult of the Dragon, uh, yeah. uh, you need that coalition yes. to be able to... You need the cities of that. the
3: Lord's Alliance on your side. You need the shadow network of the Zhentarim backing you up, or the Harper spies to help you strike down Tiamat's allies wherever they rear their ugly heads. What if you did go toe-to-toe Without any of that help, what would happen?
1: You die. No. You die! <laughs> Bloodshed. Bloodshed.
3: Unless you have a very kind and generous DM. Ah. Uh, one of the other allied factions you can get are, of course, the good aligned dragons, because you can't tell Tyranny of Dragons' story without and what what the chromatics are up to without also talking about what the metallics can bring.
0: Oh, I don't think I ever got that far in, yeah. the, in this adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? I didn't realize the metallics were involved. Yes,
3: there's even like a dragon moot. In you one know. of the chapters where you go and meet a, a bunch of them. Really? Yeah.
0: There's a whole council where
2: you go and meet up with a variety of dragons of different colors. And here's the, the, it presents the gist of each one of them, what they like, what will turn them off, and what you can do to win them over to your side. That's and they awesome. And will,
1: they will help you.
2: They
3: might help you. So,
1: what happens when you were talking about the different al- the alliances, the factions, and getting them on your side? What happens? Like, do they do you get some NPC help, or do it they depends give on the faction?
3: Sometimes, sometimes it's an army. Sometimes it's more subtle than that. Each faction can bring something different to the table. I have magic items, I assume, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah.
1: Tools. So Tiamat's on the cover, so it's yes. pretty obvious that she's going to show up in this adventure. But if you If you thwart the cultist's efforts to summon her, does the adventure end?
2: That is one of the win states. That is perhaps the most sane win state because alternatively, it's as she's being summoned, there are other things that you can do to weaken her as she comes through, but better not to have that fight. Really? Oh, yeah.
1: Because... I feel like I want that fight. <laughs> and now I feel like if I actually was successful in thwarting the cultists, yeah. I'd be like, oh.
3: And if you got to go, there's, I- there are no worse ways to go, I- really.
1: I mean, I kind of I want to see what would happen. Having five heads
3: <laughs> rip you apart. I mean. Yeah, the damage fun. that you can do with five breath weapons is, will astonish you.
1: It would be horrible.
0: Yeah. Um, and for people who are playing Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus, TMT is imprisoned upon that plane of Avernus. Mm, That's right. She comes Um, back. And for uh, people who they they could take a lot of the stuff that's in Tyranny of Dragons and incorporate it Mm -hmm. with that subplot. Yeah. Right? How Mm. how, how would you you as Dungeon Master do that?
3: I'm not that mean. No. (laughs) (laughs) Some characters uh, who
2: actually show up in uh, Descent into Avernus are in... um, uh, tyranny of Dragons as well like older Ravensgard for example oh, who yeah. plays a major element in the first portion of um, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus um, he's one; he's the head of one of the alliances that you're trying to curry favor with so this is a great getting to know you moment before heading into that some of those cool.
0: plots right um, and uh, uh, yeah, I would love to mash it all up together in some way, right? To have uh, some plot going up above and having another group be using the tyranny of Dragons and thwarting Tiamat from coming to the Forgotten Realms and another group below trying to make, no, she's got to stay here and fight us, you know, what's, uh, what's happening here.
3: Yeah, or help us. Yeah. In, <laughs> yeah. in Descent into Avernus, you can re- reverse the roles a little bit and have Tiamat on your side. What? But in exchange for... She wants something for her trouble, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So,
0: But then there's that other group up above who's trying to... But, yeah. yeah, you know,
3: lesser of two evils, so that's fathomable.
0: <laughs> is that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> would it be? <laughs> I'd help her. You would help her? <sighs> Why is that?
1: Because I love female villains.
3: Oh, uh, okay.
1: I just yep. do. Yep. I just think Tiamat's the coolest.
3: Yeah, well, She's a five-in-one.
1: Did you eat my cat when you were at my house? Yes. She reminds me of Tiamat
3: always five heads
1: she does not but she acts like she does so oh, there's just okay. something like about her personality an
3: imperiousness like
1: she's like very just she rules
0: mm-hmm. breath weapons yes mm-hmm. breath weapons she
3: yeah. just has
1: like the same aura I feel she like definitely made Chris sick oh yeah oh that's right
3: yeah you're a toxic cat
1: that's right and she's toxic one of her one of her many weapons
3: <laughs> that's my- a Kesha song right? <laughs> <laughs> toxic we know that's pretty spears sorry no.
1: Stop getting her confused with other pop stars. That was a long walk
3: home, by the way. In the (laughs) the snow. In the
1: snow. In the blizzard. That was so sad.
3: I walked home from Shelly's house in the blizzard while trying to overcome my deathly allergy to cats. Yes, But my
1: dog loved you. Yes.
3: Yes. We got along famously.
1: Puppy fell in love with Chris. Oh, he's the coolest
3: guy. He's He's the coolest guy ever. (laughs) (laughs) Your dog would scare the crap out of mine.
1: He would? Yeah. Puppy is the biggest wimp. I know,
3: but he's, he's sort of big and like lumbery. Oh, but he
1: would just like run away from Milo. Milo would be just
3: be overwhelmed.
1: We have a little Maltese that lives next door and Puppy's always like, no, no, don't come at, <laughs> don't come at me, <laughs> Juno. No, no. He would be fine. <laughs> he's scared.
2: He's scared of everything.
1: Oh, and he has like barely any teeth now. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. Okay. Just like TMX. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Wes. Yeah, yeah. You are feeling my pain,
0: and I Sorry. understand that.
2: <laughs> Sorry. How could no, you incorporate you it, devil
0: dogs in
3: your? There are campaign? no devil
1: dogs in hell, right?
0: Why wouldn't there be? You mean like the the, the little hostess? Uh, the hostess cupcakes? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> they were not called devil dogs, were they? There
0: are is a thing called devil dogs. Yeah. <laughs> there are devil same. dogs
3: in D and D too.
1: Yes, I know that. I had mm. a fight one once.
0: They're delicious. <laughs> Not devil <Yum>. dogs. <laughs> devil the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um so, yeah, I love that people going back uh, uh, t- can can incorporate all this stuff. And I, I, I love that uh, dragons is the the theme of, of mm-hmm. this, right? And we really haven't touched on them a lot. And they've been characters in other adventures, but they, we haven't been like a dragon centric story. Uh, right. We haven't had a dragons. tyranny of dragons before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, where they have, uh, you know, created a society. And I, so I also love that end state of them being like, okay, no, that actually succeeded. Yeah. And I would love to see people use use the material that's in this to tell uh, their own interesting story about like what happens after the apocalypse when the cult of the dragon succeeds and Tiamat mm. comes into this world and then what happens.
3: One of the other cool things about Tyranny of Dragons and the the adventures that it basically brought together is you can also tear it apart mm. and use just pieces of it. Like I have run from the Rise of Tiamat the Oya Vegaton chapter as its own separate adventure. That's the one where you go to this glacier that the white dragon Arathator has taken as its lair, and there's like a village of people who live on the island in the shadow of this chaotic, evil white dragon and managed to coexist with it. But it's an interesting place to stomp around. There are places like that throughout the adventures. The Karnath Roadhouse stands mm-hmm. out as an interesting place. Castle Neratar, which is this half-sunk castle in the swamp. There's this hunting lodge I've used as a separate standalone adventure where one of the cult, cult leaders... Abides. Mm. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, there's it, the, this adventure is full of just interesting standalone places if Was you want to use them that way.
1: Written that way? Or that's just.
3: No, a, but an cool intrepid DM can can separate them off because they're like episodes mm-hmm. in, a, yeah, in, in a show in a way. They kind of. Sorry, this giant phallus in my way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they stand. How the sausage gets made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they they kind of stand. They have their own beginning, their own begin, and their own end. These these chapters with these locations. Uh, there's like a an, um, and they're they're completely self-contained.
0: Um, and I think that now that we're 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 stringing them together, it's it's not just one book and then done. Yeah. It's, it, and then you, oh, you have to get another book and then right. you string it together. Now yeah. you can go from episode to episode a little bit. Uh, yeah, uh, a ton uh, of, of segues ways between
2: these set pieces. I mean, one of the other nice things is that so often dragons sort. I feel like a lot of DMs sort of. Keep their, powder dry with, with, keep their powder dry with dragons where it's just like, oh, I need to save that for the boss monster mm. or like for the end of the campaign. I mean in this, you're getting that flavor and so many different variations of that flavor, whether it's different types of dragons or there's drakes in it. There's dragonborn play a big role. There's dragon cultists. It's really dragons all the way down. How do the dragonborn play a role? Um, there's a couple of dragon cultists that are dragonborn. Um, they just have this uh, close affinity to the many of the dragons that they're worshiping, and since the cult of the dragon is so much about worshiping dragons, having these individuals that already are infused with dragonness, um, they're having in many places. Um, this heightened prestige because of that. So they are more influential
0: figures or bosses or whatever. We have the dragon's blood in us, so therefore we're, we can speak with more authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. That makes yep. sense. Um, I've also uh, heard uh, people who have taken each of the adventures that we've released for 5th edition, since they're all generally set in the Sword Coast area, and having them all happen simultaneously or having the the big mm. MacGuffin of each of them happen and I'm really fascinated by that. I mean, we just talked about it with Descent to Avernus, how it relates to Tyranny of Dragons, mm-hmm. but then having the demons uh, uh, be able to be coming up through the abyss at the same time yeah, the as well as stomping around. Sh- yes, it. right, and being able to get them to go against the dragons and uh, yeah. having a death curse happening at the same time while you know you could get sucked into the mist. So like, <laughs> I feel like there's there's so much story that could be told now with the wealth of inv- adventures that are out there that I'd love for a- an intro Intrepid DM to be able to weave them all together. I love
3: hearing about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Does it, as a storyteller, does that make your heart sing?
3: That warms my five hearts. (laughs) 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 Your cold robot heart is is beating stronger.
1: (laughs) Slowly feel yourself rising off the cold Canadian ground.
3: It I lifts know. It you up. Yeah.
0: That would be a really, I mean, I don't know how it would necessarily be presented. That would be more to your guys' mm-hmm. job. But um, uh, uh, remember, it's a, a document that links all these and says, like, oh, mm-hmm. this is how you could present it in in a way that would go from, you know, first level to 30th or whatever, or to 20th and then beyond.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so ambitious, yeah. but it's an interesting challenge.
0: Yeah. And you could do it with multiple groups, too. Oh, definitely. Right? And have them yeah. playing against each other and, and all that, having Shelley's group wanting to. Uh, uh you know, ha- be there for the Zuggit uh Love marriage. Her
1: too. Love her too.
0: Maybe she's marrying Tiamat. Fine. Cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. wedding of the century, right there.
0: That's it. Power couple. Yes, yes. I mean, is that a couple? If it's a five dragons with a uh,
1: demon she's,
3: queen, she's a, a single,
1: single-eyed, yeah, single single-eyed yeah, entity. I feel that.
0: Yeah. What if you just married one of them? You're like, I'm only going to marry the, the the blue head. <laughs> Ooh, really connected I, 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 with <laughs> the green head. <laughs> it's yeah, like
3: I, a Fairly Brothers movie right there. Yeah, I, I think I think you'd have to be all in. You, you just can't. No, you can't. No. You can't pick and choose. No, no, no. <laughs> package deal right there. Yeah, yeah. You have to take. You have to take the whole individual. I like that.
0: I like you know. that. Um, so uh, October twenty second is when Tyranny of Dragons will be out. I am um, excited it's going to be only in game stores with the Hydro 74 cover. So if you are interested in picking it up, head to your local game store and make sure you tell them that you want it, uh, and uh, they will they will give you a copy, I think, if you give them money. That's how stores work. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Just say,
3: There's give me exchange. the Bear dragon book.
0: <laughs> give me the book. Uh, and you mentioned miniatures, and of course, WizKids uh, has... has Produced TMT miniatures over the years, but I think the more recent one does a pretty good job Mm -hmm. of bringing uh, her to life in three D form.
3: Yep, large and in charge.
1: Yeah,
0: I I hope
3: they they bring that
0: to uh, you know everybody who's got it will now be like ah I've got a reason to use it again and and bring people back to it. And I like the idea of revisiting something from five years ago. Right, like Mm -hmm. it is it is nice to even if you did play it five years ago to to jump back in and and pull elements from it or play it whole cloth
1: Mm -hmm. and appreciate all the the changes.
0: That, that Wes worked on oh and, and, and also
2: I mean was. we haven't mentioned them yet but Emmy Tanji over on uh, the art team and Chris Lindsay put together a great introduction for this book they've nice. both been incredible um, everybody who's been working on the project Chris did a pass through the entire book at the v- absolute last minute Probably which was invaluable
1: 20 <laughs> 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 about 25 yeah, um, yeah. Took a break yeah. in between. He did
2: it yeah. at 1.5 speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it came out really sharp looking. I
0: think we're all really proud of that. Yep. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, tell me about the introduction. Uh you said Chris Lindsay was working yep. on that. Yeah, so
2: it? went through and since Chris Chris Lindsay has been here for thousands of years, um, he's a lich. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh he went through and was somebody who could look back at here has how the game was with the, when this adventure was initially incepted, how things have changed over the last few years, charting some of that out, um, and really playing up how this is a special adventure for the edition. This is the first one, how it is a big deal and outlining some of the changes we've made to, you know, continue to have it be this special experience for the edition.
0: That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And of course, uh Uh, Emmy does amazing work. Is everything she touches complete miracle worker? she did incredible on the entire thing.
2: I think folks, in particular, like maybe this is just some of us goobing out about the layout and whatnot. But the bestiary in this book is really something special. I think folks will be excited about it.
0: Oh yeah, what what uh, what what brings it to life? The layout. The layout? The the
3: splendid marriage of art and text.
0: Oh. Oh. (laughs) I like that you elevated that. You're like, the
1: splendid marriage.
0: Your monocle popped out.
1: (laughs) You should be an officiant at a wedding. Do you ever officiate weddings? No.
0: (laughs) You're still going back on the the Zucket-Moy team at one thing. Like, I, mean, you I to got it? some friends that are looking
1: for an official, a little bit untraditional.
0: There's a lot of wine. They will be and drinking a lot of wine, a lot of, of sports, a lot of heads, a lot of sports. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but yes, I, I love uh, Emmy's work, and she's been she's been uh, being a dungeon master now. Uh, so inspiration got, for Shelly, so even more so. Yeah.
3: Yep. yeah, she makes she makes me look nice.
1: She was having some fun for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. She she's a murderous DM. (laughs) Really, she's not. She's not
3: as kind as she looks. The nice one. It's. That 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 sort of gentle kind facade just falls away as soon as she gets behind the screen. And
1: She smiles as yeah. <laughs> she's like murdering. Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're dead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You take four
0: hundred points <laughs> of damage. <laughs> sorry.
2: <laughs> Hold on. She asked me to play at her table. Mm. I thought she was being nice. Nah. Mm. Mm, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to mm. think about that anymore. Mm.
1: <laughs> what kind of DM are you, Wes? What's your style? Murderous.
2: Um. No, generally not too much. I play I run a lot of horror games. So like my big thing is setting up a horrible situation and then like watching my players make it worse. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. So, so. murderous. Yeah. yeah, okay, maybe. Why, so. wait, it's psychologically <laughs> murderous. <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
0: I like it. Well, thank you. I am so glad uh, that you guys were able to take the time to talk through this product. Uh, I'm really excited about it coming out. And, uh, uh, you know, Wes, it's good to to, uh, introduce you to to, to everyone here on on the podcast. So we'll be talking to you more going forward. Sounds Sounds great. great. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, talking to Wes Schneider. So great to learn about where he began in his career, uh, doing all kinds of fun RPG stuff. And then, of course, talking through Kiss about what it was like. Love it. Making Tyranny of Dragons uh, yeah. uh, happen five years ago and what it was like bringing five, it back to life now.
1: Five years of 5E.
0: Five years of 5E. Love it. Make that hashtag go everywhere. What is your five years of 5E story, Shelley Mazenobel?
1: I remember it. <laughs>
0: It was a thing that occurred.
1: I remember the thing that occurred. Yeah,
0: you were actually here. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was not. when, oh, when yeah, five, I was there throughout the whole playtest. Fifth play edition test. launched. Yeah.
1: The day that we launched the playtest and it... Didn't go well technically. Oh, there were so many people that were like <laughs> I want in, and we were like, we're not prepared for this many people. That is
0: always the thing with like betas, where you're like, you don't, you can't really anticipate whether or not it's gonna catch on, and then all of a sudden people were like, let's download it, let's do it. Let's and they make were so good,
1: and they stuck with it the whole time. I mean, come on, that's what a community.
0: What a community. Yeah. And uh, kudos to you out there, community. Yeah. Uh, thank you for everything you do. All the dice rolls that you make are important in mm-hmm. our hearts. They are. They are
1: I can indeed. feel them rolling right now.
0: They're rolling.
1: <laughs> oh, you just got a one.
0: Ooh, Dang it. That's a D4. Pointy. Ah, ah, pointy D4. Yikes. Shelly, how can people get in touch with you and give you all of the kudos for designing Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons?
1: <laughs> you can write a handwritten note and stamp it. Do you know Take what a picture it?
0: of that and then post it.
1: To Twitter. How uh-huh. about Twitter at Shelly Moo? That's you. Mm-hmm, that's
0: me. What that about works. you? I am at Greg Tito, uh, on the Twitters and then on Instagram at Greg underscore Whoa, Tito. You're serious. Um, but of course if you want to find out everything about what's going on in the world of D and D go I to do. DungeonsAndDragons.com. dot is a great place to start. We'll have lots of announcements and things going up uh-huh. there. All everything about Journey of Dragons, that's coming out on October 22nd. Everything about Baldur's Gate, uh, Descent into Avernus, that came out on September 17th. And everything about D&D versus Rick and Morty and yes! e- Eberron Rising from the Last War. So there's lots of fun stuff coming up that you should check out on that, their website. Of course, Dragon Plus, you can download for your phone uh, on iOS and Android. New issues come out every two months. They're rebuilding the backlog database, so the archives of uh, all the past issues are not all there present, but they're rebuilding it now, and so more and more will be uh, popping up cool. and propagating again if you don't want to install it on your phone, even though you should, because you get lots of great updates and notifications if you do, you can access that content on dragonmag.com, uh, which is also being rebuilt uh, there. So, check it. Love it. Lots of great stuff about uh, Avernus and Baldur's Gate in that right issue right now. sure
1: is. Going to be some good stuff about Rick and Marty coming up. Yeah. That's right.
0: You've been doing all types of the interviews. Yeah. I would also love to shout out everybody who works on this podcast. We should. Yeah, right? So, yes. Shelly Mazzanoble.
1: Mm, Greg Tito. Thank you. Pelham Green. Mm.
0: Pelham Green,
1: yeah. Lots of fans here for Pelham.
0: Audio engineering recording max mixing today by Lisa Carr. Yay!
1: Yay. Great job, Lisa.
0: Uh, Also, uh, producer extraordinaire roundabout everyone, Ryan Marth, putting it together from Siren Sound. Uh, and uh, let's give another shout out for Shelley! Oh, yay! And for Gray! Yay! Yay! You know, all this cheering is making me want to uh, discover what's happening in the rocks above. They kind of...
1: Maybe we shouldn't cheer so much because they look a little shaky.
0: I'm gonna roll a D4 and see if we should do that. Yep, we should. Okay. Yeah.